podcast. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Oh, Griffin. <laughs> Gary. Now, you you don't have a Zodiac build, so you're clear. I don't. I I'm a bit of an anti-Zodiac. Yeah, exactly. You don't, yeah. You're not kind of lumbering. You're not, no. you're not a lumberer. It's one relief I feel watching this movie. That you could never be accused <laughs> they of They would never the, call Zodiac me in for crimes. questioning. Born after they committed. Correct. Were committed. Yes. And don't, which, which, don't really way, lumber. Yeah. Born after they're committed doesn't seem to exonerate you as much as it did in the past. <laughs> That's true. I feel like That's nowadays true. all sorts of people get accused of being the Zodiac killer. Yeah. 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 But it's spooky build. when he says that. The build. Those knives. Scared of guns and Those knives, knives Griffin, yeah. that I have in my chair back there, yes. they're, they're covered in blood. They're for killing a chicken. So <laughs> We should mention we're not recording this in our office. Today we're recording in David's trailer. <laughs> There's full of squirrels. Filled with squirrels. Yeah. Well, there's... Squirrels and knives. But I have two kinds of squirrels. I got my freezer squirrels and I got my <laughs> living squirrels. Right. Your friend squirrels and your food squirrels. Is this is the implication that eventually the, the trailer squirrels are going to go in the freezer? I think he's growing squirrels as like, as a source of food. Yeah. It seemed right. like that. Right. So like after a while, some of them end up in the freezer. Oh, yeah. When they're you ready. Know, you know, I used to have rats in my freezer, right? What? For For what? My roommate had a pet snake. Uh, a learned. Ooh. Learned foot. And uh, my roommate's name is Learned Foot. Shout out Learned. Hope you're doing well. I think he, he just got a new job. Um, and, uh, and he fed the snake rats. And you had to freeze them and then thaw them out and then give them to the snake. So your roommate named Learned mm -hmm. had a pet snake. And does he have a lumbering build? And is he the Zodiac killer? Yeah. <laughs> no, he was t tall, but not stocky. Okay. But you would, I would just have these moments where I would open the freezer mm -hmm. be like, wait, what? Ah. You know, like, I, like, <laughs> like once a month, I would be like, wait, uh, I need my, wait, what is this again? Rat. Rat. It's the rat. Frozen rat. We, we mentioned. And then they have that with the squirrels. Yes. Yeah. Learned your former roommate came up on a, a recent episode and I got a text from a friend that I thought was completely inscrutable. I could not make sense of what was being written to me. And then I realized it was because I read it as learned foot. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought someone was starting a sentence with, right. I yeah, yeah, learned yeah. that foot. And I was like, who's <laughs> foot? His name is Learned. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I sent this text or no, someone Orlando else. Orlando Allier. Yeah. Who was one degree away from Learned Foot and had made some connection after you mentioned him on the show. Yeah. This is the great way to end. Start. Right. Okay, <laughs> let's end. move on. Oh, it was so over. good to be here. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. Way to open and close <laughs> our episode on one of the best movies we've ever covered. Yeah, definitely. It's immediately in that tier of conversation. I think so. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think, I think so. I'm legitimately honored to be here. We, uh, because should, look, because it's it's it is a masterpiece. It was a it was a lightning bolt from the blue. Yeah, we were th there was there was some struggle in <laughs> guest booking on this episode. We had a thing set. We arranged the schedule. Yeah, we had one changed. notion that got thrown into chaos. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to slot something in quickly. Yeah, and I was sort of asking around friends of the show, and no one could come up with anything. Yeah, and then Alex Ross Perry, a mutual friend, was like, "Well, obviously, yeah, Leslie Headland." Right. <laughs> we were like, well, but why would she ever want to waste her time traveling to fucking downtown <laughs> Brooklyn? To fucking prequel episode. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, Zodiac is, uh, I, I have a top four. Okay. That, sure. you know. Four faves. Four faves. And it, I, I don't like to rank them. Okay. Because they're all so different, yeah. but it's. You have a, a, Mount, a Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah, right. it's a Mount Rushmore. Thanks. It's Zodiac, The Shining, Back to the Future, The Apartment. You know, like that's wow. just, that's okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So we've covered 
This is now the third of your Mount Rushmore we've covered. Yes. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. rudely didn't book you on the first two. <laughs> so rude. But Alex took one of them. Yes. Yeah. So that's on him. Yeah. That's his fault. Yeah. Well, and then I think Timothy Simmons did The Shining. Is he did. That right? Simon. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. You do Wilder. Or I'm sorry. No, right. You said Shining Back to the Future. Okay. So yeah. Alex didn't take one. Yeah. Yes. Alex did um, Clockwork. Clock yes. Yes. I mean, Wilder's, I don't know. You would double up some of them. You could do him. Wilder. Yeah. Like but, 20 movies. Buddy, buddy, maybe. one of the most famously great endings to a career. <laughs> the movie that makes Tarantino want to retire. <laughs> I just love that every interview, they're like, why are you going to retire? He's like, don't want to make buddy, buddy. Really? He says that? Oh, I've, never, I've never seen I buddy, haven't heard buddy. that either. He, I'm the last Wilder he, he, I've seen Google is it. Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, which is not bad. No, and which... I, Tarantino, Tarantino did likes, a video archives yeah, episode did. on him was like, this is the one he should have ended on. Oh, right, right, got right. It. But it's got his it. theory of like, everyone stays at the dance a little too long. A little too long. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, if you Google it so many times over the years, Buddy Buddy is the one. <laughs> Introduce our show. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. A searing, obsessive, investigative podcast. Mm -hmm. This one week will turn into something of a true crime podcast, right? Yeah, right. So we'll finally hit the charts. Yeah. And I have my, uh, my animal crackers laid out in front of me. It's a podcast. What? What? Sound crunch? Cr ben brought animal crackers. Did okay. you really? Well, oh. I didn't even know what I was setting up. Yep. Ben and I exchanged a knowing glance. Okay. <laughs> and out they came. Reclosable snack sack of Barnum's animal crackers. Oh, I couldn't crackers. get the damn box. No, of course. Why couldn't you? Why uh, couldn't you? I don't know. It was the best I could find. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the reclosable snack sack is so much better for audio. Yeah, of course, of course. Yes. That won't that won't make any noise at all. Yes, uh, this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes their checks clear those. I, I yeah, fucked you up. messed I, up. Keep going, keep going. One word off. You're fine. You're fine. Getting over a chest cold, Leslie. It's <laughs> fucked with my head. This goes into the canon of. Movie Griffin's been waiting to talk about since they started the show, and he's sick on the day of the record. Yeah, oh. Sunshine, oh, fine. Fury yeah. Road, sure. Uh, uh, Spider Man Two, sure. From yeah. Zodiac, yeah. Uh, Starship Troopers, the episode where I vomited mid episode. Yeah, but you didn't know you were sick at the start of that episode, right? That kind of came yeah, but on. I became you. pretty sick. It, you did, yeah, yeah. yeah. During he, he does throw up during that episode, Leslie. <laughs> uh, um, Give us a blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. There's a mini series on the films of David Fincher. Mm. It's called The Curious Pod of Benjamin Buttcast. Right. <laughs> right. And this is, look, it's, I feel like usually we have an answer, but across this mini series, we keep going back and forth on what is the blank check in Fincher's career. You think it's this? It's tough to define. Sure. Like where he had the most unfettered. You think it's this? In a certain way. And we'll get I into it. Button. But there's something about this and Button being tied as productions. Yeah. Yeah. Are they and, tied as productions? Yeah, well, they're very close together in time, and yeah. And they, Warner's um, and Paramount team up for both. Oh, right. and co-signed to co-finance both. Okay, I think each one taking a yeah. different uh, stake. Paramount and, had this in America, and WB had. But Button it was in almost like yeah. Button was the guarantor for this, which is wild. When you watch Button, and you go, "It's insane! They gave him this much <laughs> money to make this." Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. absolutely. But they insane. were like, "If you make safe play Button for us, yeah, we'll let you make your weird newspaper your weird newspaper movie." I saw Button in the theater and have not seen it since. You're, you're like most Americans. Don't then. remember it. Time um, to rebutton, Leslie. I, I saw it with my with my friend Fenry, who I also saw 
some this of, movie with this right, right. some of we'll this movie with it. right and um he sobbed uncontrollably at the end of it and yeah. i felt dead inside so um uh, that's never watched it again you might feel different now that you have a kid i'll say that okay. speaking as someone who r- now recently rewatched it with a kid and much more much more affected by it i hear this yes mm. i've i've heard i've heard that that's the case today we're talking about zodiac I think all three of us agree David Fincher's masterpiece, right? Not to like spoil anything, but it's just like undeniable. No, to absolutely. Me. And it's not, not, not this. I'm going to just really go hard. Not the social network. Just not. Wait, so you're just saying not. you don't even like the social network? No, I like it. It's, but it's fine. But it's not in the same it conversation. It is not even in the same conversation as far as I I'm agree concerned. with that. Yeah. I think it came at a particular time that everybody got on board with. Sure. And so they got on board with a long talky movie about, you know, the social network. <laughs> Whereas Zodiac, I think, suffered a little bit just in timing. I think if Zodiac came post us discovering, you know, the identity of the the Golden Not State, the Golden State, State Killer, like yes. it, like you know, Zodiac comes out, then yes. boom, everybody agrees it's the masterpiece. This you movie know? was a ahead of the culture for yeah. better or worse. It's, in a way it's a, that it's a tone setter for social yes. network was yeah. as well, but it was more tapped into the movie moment. Yes, I agree. Yes, it's good. I, I, I'm yeah. not saying it's not. You I just say it's not. I, I just, just think wondering. some people list it as his masterpiece and I couldn't agree less. I love Social Network and I think it is a masterpiece, but I think Zodiac is at the elite tier of American film history. You know what I think it might be? I think it might be that when I think of, of a filmmaker's masterpiece, there has to be that little bit of personal. Yes. And there has to be that tiny little drop of baby David Fincher in it. Yes. And that is Zodiac, you know, where, how he grew up, what Zodiac meant to him when he was younger. What was, His dad was a newspaper man? His, we'll, uh, time we'll talk about it. Yes, we'll talk about it, yes. yes, we'll talk about it anyway. Man. Absolutely. Our yes. guest today is Leslie Hadlin, the yeah, great we, Leslie. We have to, we have to introduce <laughs> We have to introduce properly, even though you introduced yourself very well. <laughs> Director of, and I'm, I'm, I need to say this because I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, Yeah, but there's a track record. There's a paper trail. I've said this on mic many times <laughs> yeah. over the course of this I podcast. I know what you're about to say. In my opinion, inarguably, always my go-to answer, the best romantic comedy of the last 10 years. Thank you. When we like bemoan the death of the romantic comedy, and it comes up in discussion, and people go, how do you bring it back? And what was the last good one? I'm like, it's sleeping with other people. Thank That's you. the model. Yeah. That's the one. Thank you. It's the one that nails it for me. It was extreme. I really appreciate that. It was an extremely personal movie. It was a movie that I um, poured my entire heart and soul into, and it was a genre that I really care about. Which right. you can you know? tell. Um, and, yeah. and I agree. It's It's really gone the way of streaming, I guess now, you know, like there yeah. really, there yes. really isn't a, 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 a market for it. Bring it back. Yeah. Bring it back. Great movie. Thank you. It, I mean, it is. I don't, you know, he already, he already hyped but you're, it up. But you're it, an incredible yeah. filmmaker, an Thank incredible you so writer, an incredible playwright. Yeah. Uh, I saw Bachelorette, Leslie. I didn't tell you. Oh, the play? That. You saw it on stage. I saw it on stage at oh. the second stage Uptown. Yes, remember? that's right. Yeah. In yeah. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, not dragged to it. That's going to sound harsh. That <laughs> does sound harsh. Um, Most people are dragged to theater, though, I think. Yeah. Well, my bro- so my brother works in theater, and he was, I think, an intern at the second stage oh, then or something. interesting. Okay. And he was like, come see this one. Like, you'll you'll like it. Like, you know, it's, you know, you, like, trust me, it's it's fun. It's, you know, I'm not dragging you to some, like, eat your broccoli's play or whatever. Yes, and it was yeah. so fucking good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank I, you. you know, I'm, I'm, I love that know. play. Also a very personal play. Like also, you know, um, uh, something I felt incredibly blessed to have been featured at 
the second stage uptown. Like mm-hmm. that was just such a, cause I don't know if they still do that series. It's gone as yeah. far as I know. It was really, it really broke me as a writer, you know, like it, it like that was the, right. that, was, that the, was the moment. That was right. the moment, you know, like, like that interiors were like my first two things oh, yeah. that I did. Well, Terrors yeah. was great. Yeah. But it was, it was like, it was Fran Kranz, right? Yes. Fran Kranz. Eddie well, K. Kat- Thomas. Eddie K. Thomas. Catherine Waterston. Waterston. Right. Uh, Tracy Chimo, Celia yes. Keenan Bolger, Celia Keenan Bolger, right. and my friend Carmen Hurley. Yeah, yeah. And it was just one of those things where, like, there's the blowjob monologue, like, really early. Yeah, yeah. And the whole audience clearly just has this whole moment of like, okay, now, I guess now we know what we're in for. <laughs> I would say that I always want to have some moment where you just let the audience know, like, if you don't like this. Yeah. You're not gonna right. like the you rest might of as well, right. You might as well yeah. just leave right now, yes. and because it's going to be this for ninety minutes. It's exactly <laughs> what it felt like in the room, like yeah. it was a small theater, and uh, you could just tell everyone being like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, she's still talking about it." Okay. Uh, oh, she's not done yet. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That's gonna be what this is like, and then it's so good. Um. Anyway. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you're welcome. You. Um, but, but to tie in like deep blank check lore that are. Uh, lunatic Zodiac Killer adjacent fans uh, feed on. <laughs> uh-huh. To build out the tapestry, you were on the same trivia team with Alex Ross Perry. Sometimes. That's correct. Sometimes. sometimes. You were a guest. I was least. a guest uh, sometimes on Love and Tura Pet Detective. Right. That's a great right. name. Great name. But yeah. the Videology Trivia... Uh, league, which which looms large in the history of the show, is the formation or the real c- cementing of our friendship, yes. David and I. Yes. This podcast brings out of, and there are people in the history of this show who we became friends with. Yes. Then and there at the trivia, and then there are people like Alex who we didn't even really connect with until years <laughs> later, and Nia DaCosta. But I just find it so funny. The more it's like. I think about Conan O'Brien talks about careers are like war movies where at the beginning you meet like the 15 guys in your squadron (laughs) and then the movie goes on three hours and you keep on running into the same guys in the battlefield over like decades. Yeah. And it feels like that bar is like our training grounds. What was it called again? Videology? Videology. Yeah. Yeah. Sad that it's, you know, R.I.P. R.I.P. Murdered by the Zodiac Killer? (laughs) (laughs) He's back. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, Zodiac, I do think I agree not to spoil this is Fincher's best film. Yeah. And it's the best film of a year that's sort of notoriously a good year for movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 2007 There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men and Michael Clayton and a lot of big, you know, well-remembered movies. Yeah. A year um, that is so yeah. good that it's hard to make a top 10 with an unconventional pick. Right. You know, right. like, like well, yeah. I have to include X. Right. And, and yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. there's like a pool of 30 agreed upon <laughs> fantastic movies from that year. And if you're taking anything outside of the 30, you're like, are you just trying to color outside the lines? Yeah. Are you just trying to be contrarian? Yeah. But yeah. in a year with like several incredibly valid yeah. kind of undeniable masterpieces, I do think over time, this one has only kind of grown. Oh, absolutely. Because I feel like I remember it coming out and it there was sort of a resounding, not with film nerds, yes. but I think with general audiences, there was a resounding sort of yawn at this yes. movie, you yes. know, that, that it was it was kind of long and, you know, there's no resolution and it's and it's it, which is sort of the point of the whole thing. But it didn't feel like it hit in any way. No, no. And it gets it gets zero Oscar nominations. I mean, I feel like a meme at the time was like Norbit one Oscar nom, Zodiac zero. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. Because sure, right, right. Norbit got the makeup one. And that was always the comparison point that they were making. 
But I was looking, like, there is only one critics group that gave this movie an award. Yeah. uh, Dublin Society Film Critics. Well, top of the morning to them. I'm giving them credit. Why do you think that's the case? Uh, Because it was released in March and then... Oh, that's right. It was released in March. And then by the time it was time for awards... no Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood had come out. Yeah. And there was this kind of like, oh my God. That like, was such a dogfight. These fight big totemic like, movies. Oh yeah. Right. That's Which true. side are you on between those two? Which one were you? I was a No Country guy. Yeah, same. So yeah. was I. These days, I'm, I kind of don't care. I like them all. I'm, I so I'm happy they're with us. Rewatched you know? either in full in so long. And I rewatch scenes from both all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, it gets lost in a shuffle of a year where it's like you have movies like that that are connecting in a slightly larger way. And then you have things that are like full on hits that are critically well regarded, like Ratatouille, you know? Oh, right. And then you have things like. Wait, do you think that it's weird that they're kind of similar to Zodiac, though? No. The the, the, There Will Be Blood, No Country? There's something in the air that year. Yeah. Weirdly, you know, and it's like. Lots of laughs. Lots of laughs. Um, but even like just like these nihilistic endings yes. where you're yes. like, you know, there's just there's no hope. Yes. Yeah. And it is. It's also kind of the peak of this. Like, I mean, Zodiac is not an indie movie. No, it's a studio film. But like all the studios having their indie imprints, putting yep. out challenging ish movies. Yeah. yeah. Something like Juno can take off and make a zillion dollars or I don't know what else was sort of like big that year. You know, like like if you look at the Oscars, it's like a dark year. Like, yes. Because, like, Michael Clayton is also, that has a triumphant ending in a way. Like, he, it's a but dark it's dark. Movie. Like, he he beats them, I guess. But then, yeah. he, you know, get in the car, he he starts driving. Nothing to do with himself anymore. Um, you know, the diving bell and the butterfly, Sweeney Todd, like, Eastern Promises. Yeah. These are, like, very bleak adult, you know, yes. films that yes. had broken through. Jesse James. Well, I was going to say, Jesse James, I think, weirdly comes out much later yeah. and takes the Zodiac spot of the one the critics are fighting to, to nudge in. Right. Sure, yeah. Do we have any idea why the studio released it in March? Yes. We do, uh, which essentially is they thought it would not do very well. Uh, well, the other the part fall. of this yes. was... It Did was it have a festival life? It was... It, it released it, it at Cannes after, two months after it came out. it bombed in theaters. Because I was going to say, I was yeah. like, wasn't it at Cannes? They put it at Cannes two months, as Griffin is yeah. saying, after it had bombed. To, even to Fincher's Wild. confusion, and like lost Fincher the was like, "I'm no country, right?" Yeah, but it also, yeah. it not only did it lose it. No, 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 country no, not no country. Can. I don't know what, uh, but uh, no country was a can. Well, but that would be the year 2007. Wait, well, now I have to look it up. Maybe it didn't win, but it was at can. Looking it up. Okay. <laughs> Jesus God, I'm forgetting what the Palm d'Or would have been in 2007. Palm d'Or in 2007 went to four months, three weeks, and two days. Oh, right. It's a very good film. Oh uh, the, yes. The jury president was Stephen Frears that year. Yeah, No Country. I think did win director maybe or something. That sounds right. uh, it, it, no Country. No. Let's see. Nope, didn't win nothing. Well, no awards for No Country. Yeah, no awards for No Country. <laughs> Set pays c'est pas pour la vieille homme, as the I always say. The French title, literally, this country is not for the old men, <laughs> which I just would see on posters and laugh. French <laughs> like, that is good. Are always that is fantastic. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be Paramount's big winter, fall 2006 Oscar contender. And they were fighting him over length. And then they kind of just threw up their hands and went, we're just fucking releasing it in March. Right. Wow. So by March, like, 
it went from being a hot prospect to them to sort of a shrug and a yeah. surrender. But I do think weirdly, 2006 was kind of a weak Oscar year. Yeah, it could have won. That's, I, that's the departed. Even if Paramount yeah. kind of dumped it, but they dumped it in November, December. I think it would have at least had like an insider type Oscar run where it's like to, to be the clear, studio abandoned this, it bombed, but critics loved this. I love the Departed, it. but it's kind of weird that it won Best Picture. Yeah, right, That's right, not right, right. the kind of movie that often wins Best Picture. Yeah, um, movies where Jack Nicholson picks up someone's hand in a bag and goes, right. hey, you know, like that's not usually what they love. It would have been the movie of two thousand seven or two thousand six. I mean, rather, sorry. It seems like a giant fuck you. I think it was a bit of a fuck you, but I also think at the time, as much as we lionize this movie now, David Fincher movies always come out and everyone's always like, too cold. Right. Every single time. It yeah. happens to this day. It happened to Mank. It's happening to the killer. Yeah. And then five years later, everyone's like, we all agree he changed cinema on that day. <laughs> and like, I'm just like, you didn't fucking agree about anything. Yeah. And I remember when Zodiac came out, I was, how old would I have been? I was like 21. But I was like, at the time, I was like, it's pretty weird. This is just kind of getting dropped with like the March garbage, you know, just kind of like, all right. And I went to see it and I was like, that thing was incredible. Was this post Zack Snyder taking over March? Uh, it's the same March. It's the same March. Same March. I want to say no, 300 No, 300 out. is, wait, wait 2007. Wait. Yes. Yes. Okay, so, so it's that's, like in the shadow of it. No, it's yeah. a week later. It's a week later. Oh. So they just get, on the horizon. They kick him into the pit. Yeah, they They, they just kicked him into the yeah. pit. No, but you're right. This is like a week after this movie comes out, <laughs> March becomes a legitimate time to release a movie. <laughs> and the week before that, it was a garbage a month. A garbage month, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, changed we certainly, immediately after. We will talk about the box office this, this week. Yeah. Because that's what we do on this podcast, obviously. But uh, Zodiac ran into a buzzsaw. That was the other yeah. problem that yeah. nobody saw coming. Do you I know think, what it is? I think I know what it is. Okay. Well, we'll talk about mm. it. I thought you were going to mm. say, we will talk about 300. And I said, I'd rather not. I don't think we will. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is the moment. Bring it back. Yeah. Start poking the Snyder bear. Uh, so, yeah. Let me give you a little bit of context about Zodiac, Leslie. Mm -hmm. But then, yes, I do want to ask about you seeing the movie because we were talking about this briefly. I want to say one thing. Before we Go crack this open, just to Leslie's point, because I think this is a thing to pin on the on the cork board as we start putting a bunch of thread yeah. around building our Zodiac map of this episode. I think that's a reason why Social Network is so lionized. Yes. Is it is the only movie of his where everyone was unified at the moment it came out. That's right. It is the only movie in his career where when it came out, yeah. it was a hit. Audiences liked it and critics liked it and it was an Oscar player. And every other time he's been missing one of them and that everyone comes around later. Yes, My yes, yes, yes. My argument for that would be people appreciated the coldness because they were like... Because it was about a cold We person. need to take yes. this guy down. And also, that's 100% correct, yes. And also, it was sort of like, oh, the Sorkin script did good in the fridge. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. that actually benefits from control. He was yeah. pulling something that was a little too hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that worked really well for everyone. I don't think there's another... I mean, Fight Club is sort of its own thing where obviously that went over poorly in a lot of ways. But like, I don't think people were like too cold. They were just right. like, I don't know what to do with this. But mostly it's like, yeah, if only like the meticulous little techno freak David Fincher had some blood in his veins. Like it's always the initial reaction. 
And they're always wrong, to be clear. Oh, like, I think so, too. Yeah, but, yeah. like, that's the fucking endless read on him. I mean, I think the flip of that, and we'll get to this in its own episode, but Gone Girl, I think people are like, well, this is just kind of popcorn. Yeah. But people I, were like, right. this is fun, but Gone it's not Girl, serious. Gone Girl, everyone liked, but, right, they were like, but we can't take this seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, come on. Yeah. Come, come on. Yeah. Uh, do you like Gone Girl? I love Gone Girl. Gone Girl's the yeah. best. Yeah. Um, I have the cool girl monologue framed in my office. Is it true... Alex was was trying to uh, uh, get this right. Do you have two separate David Fincher-related tattoos? I have Marla Singer. There she is. With slide underneath Oh, that's her. so cool. I have, I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. Hey. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. I felt like you guys were a little harsh on, on Fight Club. May I say... So you've listened to the episode. No, I did listen to the episode. Yeah. And I don't, I, not that it's it was. It's not my movie. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Yeah. I have and to I, admit. I apologize if it felt like I was being uh, uh, too uh, dismissive of it. Oh, it's no, like, I totally got what you guys were saying because with the easy riderness of it, like mm -hmm. meaning that it's sort of like younger people now watching that film would be like us watching Easy Rider. Is that sort of what? 100%. Am I remembering yes. that correctly? Yeah, 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 I know exactly. And, and I did ask my younger, for my Star Wars, I actually did ask some younger cast members to watch Fight Club. And I think that they, I think they did have that reaction. Yeah. But to me, Fight Club is Dr. Strangelove. Like it's, sure. it's a satire that stands up because what it's satirizing is evergreen, which right. is male, male toxicity. You right. know, like right. it's right. always right. going to be there. It's always going to be happening. It's like it's a good take. You know what I mean? That's that's my take. Yeah, but but no, I also I also understood that in because I was texting with Alex about it, fighting him with him about it, and these he was like, you have to understand, it was my whole life. Yes, you right. know, and I think that was the thing that that he was sort of reacting against. Th this is the one thing I want to say in our defense in this episode. Okay, I, defense of that episode because this is the one Fincher episode we're not recording wildly far in advance, so we can actually respond to that. Oh, sure. Right. Good I don't point. feel the need to respond to all the criticism because I understand I understand the note. And I'm not placing any blame on him, but I think you need to understand where David and I were coming from if I can speak for David. Alex says, I want to do Fight Club. That was my whole personality for like 15 years. And I think <laughs> David and I both think, great, we can sit back. Right, He's going to come right. in and deliver the dissertation on a movie that was not either of our our movie. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right? Sure. And so I was just like, I maybe I'm a little cooler on this than a lot of people. I have no aspiration to like note it or like create my thesis for why it's overrated or anything. Yeah. But I thought he was just going to lay it all out and I'd be like, interesting case. Right. Which is what he'd done for the last couple of movies he came on for where it was like, this is my whole personality. <laughs> and what we could not have anticipated is he rewatched it and went like, I don't know if I like this anymore. Right, right. right he was right. like, oh, yeah. maybe it is kind of in the past for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it is, it is. And I, I don't think I've seen Fight Club as much as I've seen Zodiac. So I saw Zodiac okay. when it came out. I saw, uh, I, I had some mishaps trying to see it in the right. theater because oh I was an assistant at the time and like I slept through one of them. And, you, you know, like it was just, it was a really bad year for me. And uh, just personally, it was mm -hmm. a really horrible year. So I, I, but I had to see Zodiac because I was a ma massive, massive Fincher fan. And so I went to go see a matinee of it at that AMC. I think it's like an AMC on Broadway in 18th. Oh yeah. You know oh, that nine, one? Yeah. Yeah. The AMC so, on so, You know, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, just sat through it. And the second like hurdy gurdy man came on at the end, I was like, this is a, a masterpiece. I yes. have, I have witnessed a masterpiece. And then I walked out into like the brightest sunlight. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm just like, it was so trippy. And I think that after that Zodiac, once it came out 
on DVD and I got the director's cut and, the, you know, the commentaries, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I watched it almost every day. So I saw it in New York when I was an assistant. I quit my job, which was very difficult and hard to do. I moved to Los Angeles with nothing. And I start and I slept on a couch because I had no money. And I shared the studio apartment with this other girl, this roommate. And I watched Zodiac every day. And, and at, some, at one point, she had a, an intervention with me and yeah. was like, you have to stop watching Zodiac. I mean, yeah. as much as you, I adore Zodiac, I might worry. Yes. She was extremely, every day. she was extremely worried about me. Yeah. She was like, I think that you have some uh, mental issues you should work out. I mean, this okay. is like you when know? I was like heartbroken when I was 15 and yes. I watched uh, The Wiz every day for four straight months. <laughs> it's mm. really, it Where got it's like, me, you can like this movie, but something else is going something on. Something else here. is going on. Right. It did get me through. And I think because it's about obsession and yes. it's about, it's about a certain type of addiction. Like it got me through a period of my life yes. that I don't know if I would have gotten through if I didn't have Zodiac. Like, so it's I not, get it. it's not yeah. just like a cold movie that's investigative that has a nihilistic ending. Like to me, it's, it's so rich and beautiful and, gorgeous and there's all these like nooks and crannies in it that you can just live in. It's like, it's like Barry Lyndon for me. Like, you know, you just, you can a live inside comparison. the movie, you know, like uh, uh, even Leslie, more so. Yeah. I've seen this movie many times, not as many as you. <laughs> I find I've seen it, it more times than you somehow. <laughs> I find it, it to weirdly be a comfort food oh, movie, even hugely. though I find it very upsetting and disturbing. Absolutely. My wife will say to me, like when I'm very stressed out, my wife yeah. will say, do you want to go home and watch Zodiac? Yeah. You know, like, do you want to go watch Zodiac? I'm it, like, it yes, I do. It relaxes me, but it focuses me. Yes. And it sort of grounds me. Yeah. yeah. I find it kind of relaxing and comforting and very funny. And yes, of course, it, it contains depictions of murder. Yes. That are chilling and realistic. And also just like the darkness of the human soul and like that obsession. Part, that's the comforting part. The, uh, the really unanswerability. Like of, that, that right. actually is, my whole thing with Zodiac and that's one of the only scary movies that Forky has watched with me multiple times, my mm. wife. Um, has watched Zodiac with you multiple, multiple times? times? Oh, really? Now I understand why your marriage works. <laughs> uh, and she watched it with me the, the other first night. time. Is it's like after the cabbie, mm -hmm. you're basically done with murder. Yes, that's right. And because Fincher wisely is like, I'm not depicting anything else where it's like, who knows, maybe this yeah. was a, you know, it's like, no, no, no. We are depicting hard facts, confirmed only. Zodiac killings only. Yeah. And then it's like now where, where people survive. And because exactly. they don't show right. the first one. Right. They don't show the first one. If we yeah. can't interview a survivor, we're not going to get it on screen. Right. Yeah. Well, the cabbie didn't survive, but the cabbie was, you know, witnessed sure. and so on. Yeah, but yes, but yes, correct. And then you're like, yeah, now we're just going to sink into obsession. And yes, there'll be scary stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, but like, I, we're going to be in diners, no. explaining things, looking through books. There's going to be find harsh it very sunlight comforting. coming through like uh, police stations. There's going to be, you know, people going to the library. <laughs> Well, that's, I love that it's yeah, these different kinds of investigations. It's detectives, yes. it's newspaper, and it's cold case. I, puzzle boy. I, I yeah. call him puzzle boy. Puzzle boy. He yes. is a puzzle boy. But yes, yeah. Yeah, yes. The, he is what we do have now. Yes. He, like, that's what he is as well. Leslie, you saying this movie has nooks and crannies that you could live in. I had this thought verbatim rewatching the movie for the episode. I don't think I've ever had this exact thought before. It's not like this is a mental exercise I've run through before. But I thought if I was forced to watch only one movie for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I had to watch that movie every day. Oh, yeah. This, okay. That sounds torturous, but yes. Right. But that's part of the exercise. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
I'm like, what's a movie I would still find compelling every day and not get tired of? And there are movies I enjoy watching more than this, but I think this is a movie I would never stop finding interesting. And I would never lack in discovery of new things to sort of dig into and fixate on. I couldn't agree more. And I think that part of it is that it's not a slave to the three-act structure. It's interstitial. It's got this sort of episodic feel to it. And not unlike The Shining, it has this sort of labyrinthian feeling to it. But no matter how many times you've seen it, you're like, wait, is this the part where he goes to see Donald Logue? Or is this the part where, you know, um, he gets in the fight with Tashi? Like, Like, you can't quite remember what scene is coming next. I will never yeah. get to the bottom of it. And but there's also, no scene where you're like... It's never going to get repetitive. Every scene is three to four guys in a diner or an office chatting, basically. Having the best conversation and you've ever like, heard every in Every scene, life. you're like, I can't go to the bathroom for this one. Like, <laughs> I have to watch. Yeah. I have to... It's oh, it's... Fucking uh, cork. L- Logus back, yeah. I absolutely adore this movie, too, because I think it does what Fincher actually does best. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like I think Fincher... Up until this point, we've seen like flashiness to those films. Yeah, like, sure. um, and actually what he is a genius at is blocking actors and staging camera. Mm-hmm. He's actually just brilliant at doing what what the greats all can do. Right. And when yeah, it comes Bird down to it, him. you yeah. can either do that or you can't. Yes. And there are many directors that absolutely cannot do that who are lauded, I think, for their inventive sort of way that they put together a Amazon scene, you know, like the way that they, you know, throw a bunch of jump cuts together. But the all the greats, yeah, it's blocking and staging. Like, it's so clear the way that he has, I mean, all you have to do is watch, like, the investigation of Paul Stein's murder, mm-hmm. the handheld section. Is that the the, the cabbie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With um, Tashi and yes. um, Anthony Edwards and Mark Ruffalo. The way that's blocked is it like I could watch that scene, you know, 25 times right yes. now and probably find something new that I learned something from that scene. It's like one of the I don't say this lightly. One of the greatest regrets of my life is I was invited by someone to attend Soderbergh at NYU giving a lecture on Zodiac. Right. On the killer, to be clear, not the film. No, I'm joking. Yes. Yeah. He's like, I think <laughs> I I've know who it, it is. <laughs> and I'll only tell... NYU student. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, he did a lecture on Zodiac maybe like a year or two after it came out. Pretty okay. fresh. And it was just him. And I don't think this was ever recorded. Uh, but it was just him breaking down like scene by scene. Oh. You don't understand. This is this is the guy working at the absolute top of the field right yeah. now. in just the basic fundamentals of visual storytelling. Of everything like meat and potatoes that movie making is. And the oh. term I heard he used all the time was just next level visual math. Yeah. In a That's way that is, that is exactly it. Right. Right. That is right. exactly right. it. And it's so unflashy, but it's like this is Fincher doing his most sophisticated film where on a surface level, it is the simplest, it is the sparest, you know? Right. It's a movie it where the you're most like, wait, direct. why did it even cost money? I don't understand. It's mostly set in an office. And yeah. it is so expensive. It, like, that's the thing. Like, yeah. if, if you are a filmmaker and you watch Zodiac, you can appreciate how expensive the film is. Yes. Like, how, mu- how much digital work has been mm-hmm. done right. in order to create the period, to recreate the waterfront. Like, you know, uh, even the, the, the Paul, Paul Stein cab moment 
like you were saying, not a survivor there, but that's why they use that bird's eye view yes. of yes, the right. cat the, the because they're like, yes. they can't we tell don't you what know. happened inside. Right. Yeah, we don't know right. what happened inside. Yes. We know he got in. We know he, they took him to, to Washington and Cherry and that's all we know. So how do we shoot it? Like that's the other filmmaking. Sh I mean, just like his internal rules of like what we are showing you yeah. and when and how. Yeah. Based in like the movie communicating to you the levels of reality of fact versus memory all versus All the way opinion. down to like Darlene Farron, you know, hitting the the turn signal, like when she gets shot, like everything down, like every single detail was like, I love that it starts out by saying that it's based on case files. Yeah. Not by like, you know, this is based on a true story. He says like, this is based on the case files. <laughs> like, yes, I don't yes. know why, but that always tickles me too. Um, I love that it says that though. Yeah. Rather than like inspired by a true story. Or, true events. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. True events. I love true. I love when events are true. I love it. <laughs> Zodiac, let me give you some context from the dossier. Obviously, it's coming five years after Panic Room. Although, I suppose you can think of it as sort of being intended as for as a 2006 movie. Yes. Because it is sort of a big gap in his filmography. But, yeah. You know, but obviously, uh, it, what does he work on in between that he never made? Rendezvous with Rama. Mm -hmm. I think we, we will talk about again. Really wanted to make a version of that, the Arthur C. Clarke novel that with Morgan around Freeman. For a long time, this gap is one of the periods where he spends a lot more energy on it. But he even then was sort of like, "I can see the way this movie works, and the technology's eight years away." Yeah, for me doing partly it. a sort of digital hang-up thing. He said he wanted to do it like John Krakauer's Into Thin Air. Don't even know what that means, but sounds <laughs> awesome. Like crazy, sort of like the technical details of like space exploration stuff. When you stuff. dig into those, because there's one interview that I feel like JJ is pulling from a lot that's from like 07 or 08. That's him saying like, I can almost see us being at the place where I could make it the way I want to. He wanted and it's to do not it like there IMAX 4K. And this right. is in 2008. I think like, he yeah. wanted to do something similar to Gravity, but even more hard sci-fi, right. hard science, less pulpy. But it, it just didn't exist. Uh, he also, as I think we've mentioned, was attached to a script called Seared that became the TV show Kitchen Confidential. Right. Uh, an adaptation of Anthony Bourdain's book. He was going to make that as a movie with Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. That gets canceled. And then eventually, we, as we've mentioned, he also later, later attached, attached to, to Chef, which then becomes Burnt also with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> so weird. But he was going to do it with Keanu. Uh, which is wild. He was also supposedly attached to that David Benioff movie, Stay. Yes. Which Mark Foster made. Famous twist movie. Like one of the with hottest McGregor scripts. and Gosling. Yeah, that people were losing their minds over. Who's and then, the female lead in that? Uh, Naomi, Naomi Watts. Watts. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone hated it. Hated it. What's the twist in that movie? Have you seen Stay? I haven't seen no it. No one's ever seen it. It's yeah. not a real film. I'm like uh, vaguely remembering it. It was one of those things that everyone was like, just wait, this is going to be huge. And they came out, everyone was like, forget it. We never mentioned this <laughs> Didn't movie. Happen. It's not real. Right. Don't speak of this film. But it was like Goodbye. four years of the hottest directors and stars all like clamoring to make you this You can't thing. believe the twist in this thing. And yeah. they're like, I won't tell you. People have explained to me what the twist is and it, I, it does not register. Yeah, I couldn't right, right. You're like, it. and then it turned out he was from, the, and you're like, I know, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Um, the other big thing, of course, is he works for a while on Mission Impossible 3. That's the big one. He's sort of the first choice for He's it, announced. basically. And, you Friday know. announces Cruz has selected him. to think about, Because he was going to do, there was the World War II movie he was going to do with Pitt. Sure, we've talked about that. I can't remember which and one. And when Pitt dropped out, it's somewhere there in the, in the dossier. I forget the name of it. Um, when Pitt dropped out, Cruz briefly thought about taking over. 
it was sort of one of those windows where it's like, we'll keep your development costs going if you can get an equivalent Fertig. A-lister. That's what that means. Great title. So Pitt was attached for a while. <laughs> Pitt drops out. This summer, Fertig. He's trying to keep it afloat. <laughs> he meets with Cruz. Cruz considers it passes, but then goes, you know what? You've passed my test. I want you yeah, on MI3. Cruz considered Fertig, decided to do Last Samurai instead, but then was like, here's a Robert Town script for MI3. Yeah. I want to Fincher make it really says, nasty and violent. We don't know. Fincher is the one who said that we had a cool, really violent idea. He doesn't say what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know what he means by that. Like, it's it was sort of weird to say, like, our, our idea was violent. I don't, like, but who knows? Here's all I will say. I would I, say Carnahan is his replacement. Right. And then when Abrams comes on board, I think Abrams is sort of working with new material. He starts over point, from square right, one. Yes. Carnahan, I don't know how much in common the Carnahan version had with the Fincher version. Although, Carnahan is someone you are turned to for violence. Correct. Yes. This yeah. is why I'm saying it did feel like Cruz maybe wanted to go harder and more violent. The thing I know that Carnahan has said in interviews is that his script was largely about drug trafficking in human bodies. Dear Lord. Like that they were like putting drugs in dead bodies. And that's one of the reasons everyone kind of panicked around it was like it was really. <laughs> I mean, that sounds crazy. <laughs> just yes. imagine the the studio execs. Yeah. I mean, just, just they ask. were using corpses. Yeah. And, and now yeah. we're back to like Ethan Hunt is like, you know, a close up magician slash acrobat, you yeah. know, <laughs> who does fun disguises. Acrobat. Not yeah. like acrobat. they're moving bodies yeah. <laughs> stuffed with drugs or whatever, you know, whatever this is. Yeah. But just wild that Fincher His even... livers full of microchips. Fincher sort of talks about it like, I thought they were all kind of jazzed on the idea uh-huh. I had. And then over time, it seemed like they maybe wanted me to take notes from them. And it's wild that he even it's like, like... David, yeah. You've <laughs> like, gone through Alien 3. I thought you would like learned hard and fat. Maybe he thought Cruz could insulate him. I mean, it makes sense like why Cruz wanted him, yes. but it doesn't make sense why Fincher would want to do it. Why he would fall for it. Yeah. yeah. Why would he fall I for it? I guess that? there's yeah. just sort of an allure, an allure of, wow, like Cruz is the number one movie star in the world. Yeah. Like this could be cool. But yeah. Every story I've ever heard about him, which are all very, very know about Cruz, yeah. like which are all very like third person, friend friend. very, yeah, very yeah. far, away, far removed is just that he can talk anybody into anything. Right, right. Yeah. So right, right. I, I'm assuming he sat down and was like, hey, Finch. And I think he talks to him, but it'll, it'll be hard. You know, it'll, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to work. Which is the number one and thing like, that Fincher wants that to do. sounds good, though, for <laughs> right. some reason. Yeah. But if you think about yeah. You're he was eight egg white omelets a day. That's a good Chris impression. <laughs> he was, he was <laughs> eight egg whites a day. <laughs> it's going to be tough work. It's, he, but it was, it was, it was De Palma, and then it was John Woo, yeah. Correct, and yes. then yeah, of course he wanted another. Yeah, yeah that's the other thing. Yeah. Right? There's this kind of baton pass of like, oh, these are like huge thriller directors, right. Yeah. right? Yeah, I just think Fincher, every other point in his career, from Alien Three on, anytime something like this is floated to him, yeah. is like 99 out of 100 guys would fall for this. Yeah, and I, and know. I know, right? I went through yeah. that crucible. I already did it. the trap. Yeah, and this is the one time it felt like he let himself believe a little bit. Yeah, it was that cruise magic. It's the cruise magic. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Some other things, and I feel like we've mentioned all these before. Uh, Lords of Dogtown, he was attached sort of at one point, and then he was trying to mentor Fred Durst into making it. It was Durst first. 
It was a Durst developed project. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then they were like, this is Durst, too big a budget for Durst, Durst. Right, is kicked off. Fincher steps in yes. and then is like, forget it. And I know in a classic kind of Fincher thing, the budget thing was he was like, okay, so I need $15 million to reconstruct the pier. Right, right, right. And they were, <laughs> and like, they were David. like, David. <laughs> and he was like, you have to rebuild the pier at full scale. It's, it's 1971 again. Like, right. we have to do that. Oh my right. God. And he was attached to The Lookout, which is one of those movies that eventually gets made by Scott Frank with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Right. But like that was a script that was attached a to like a zillion people. A little bit of a stay people. script, but yeah, yeah, instead yeah. it turns out pretty well. Um, and then Button, of course, which he's pushing up the hill for all of the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and, and they want him to do, and they think he's the guy who can finally sort of solve the movie for them. Right. So I think Zodiac is like, he's already dancing with them on Button. Right. And then he like brings a third into the dance. Which is why the dumping in March seems so weird to me. Because I'm like, weird. because if they're so invested in yeah. him for the Button of it all. Yeah, Leslie, I don't know if you know this, but studios are often irrational <laughs> and act against dumb, their own interests. Dumb, interests. dumb, dumb. Do they? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard. I, I don't know the this. News. I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah. He's got a great, a great quote in this dossier where he's like, "You talk to studios and you like pitch them a movie, and they're like 150 million dollars. That's too much. And then three years later, they greenlight the same movie and say it's a bargain. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Because they've gone through some level. Whatever. We don't yeah. need to. Uh, and then the other thing is, first he's going to write direct a script that was written by James Elroy called The Night Watchman. Mm -hmm. That falls apart. And then he gets attached to the Black Dahlia. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, let's make this as a massive miniseries, TV, yeah. like broad, you know, film level miniseries. He's basically pitching like what which he eventually it, gets to be, do. Which it should be, by the way. Yeah. Because those Elroy books, which I love, are all, you know, doorstops. They're, right. they're huge. And, you know, he's like, give me $80 million for a TV miniseries. In the mid-2000s, that scene is right. ludicrous. Go, now the limited prestige series is dead. It is never coming back. Right. It will not, in fact, destroy movies. Now you're like, hey, can I have $80 million for a TV show? They're like, for one episode, maybe. Right. And, yes. and uh, then that turns into a movie that De Palma makes. A flawed but interesting film, yeah. I would say. Um, and so Zodiac happens. Shane Salerno. Mm -hmm. The uh, is writer he? of Shaft. Well, Singleton Shaft. Yeah. Why were we just talking about him? Well, he's writing. He's in the upcoming. He's, he's, in, he's in the, the Avatar, Avatar writers room. world. No, right. He wrote Alien versus Predator. Oh, right. That's why we were yeah. talking. About but him. an incredibly bizarre career. <laughs> yeah. A sort of like Wonderkin documentary. He he makes he a documentary on, in high school that right. gets picked up, and then he gets brought into the NYPD Blue Writers Room as the sort of apprentice, uh, and then is sort of off and running in this sort of true crime bent. He buys the rights to the book that um, you know the real From Robert Grace Smith. Grace yeah. Smith writes. Yeah. He loves the book when he's a teenager. Zodiac. Mm -hmm. Develops it for years. Kicks it to James Vanderbilt. He of the Vanderbilts. But wasn't it with Disney? Yes. At some he point? signs up with Touchstone. So oh, Touchstone. Touchstone. Sells it to Touchstone in like 99. Guys, remember uh, Touchstone? Right. I, miss I miss it. it. I, I miss it. Miss I miss it. So I want to touch the stone again. I want to touch the stone. Bring me back, pretty woman. Bring you know what's an back. underrated Roger Rabbit. Well, yes, yes. Well, speaking of Roger Rabbit's in this movie. He's in this movie. You don't want to go in his basement. What? He is. Uh, oh, yes, that's yes. Him, that's yeah, Roger that's Rabbit. him. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, um, speaking of Roger Rabbit, speaking of Touchstone. Speaking of Touchstone, I loved when Disney made their deal with DreamWorks and just briefly revived Touchstone to release the DreamWorks movies. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where, like, Lincoln right. is a Touchstone film and Bridge of Spies is a Touchstone film. And it was like we had like Touchstone had basically died. And then there was like five years where that logo came back. 
And it was lovely. Now it's gone again. James Vanderbilt, and I say this with all due respect to a man who's had a long and successful career yeah. in Hollywood, has never written a movie as good as Zodiac. Oh, no. It's I have a couple crazy. theories. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the main theory, obviously, is that, you know, Fincher worked on this movie and all that. But, like, sure. it's just interesting that he, I think of him as a pretty reliable blockbuster kind of guy these mm -hmm. days, right? He did Spider-Man. He does the Scream movies. He does the Adam Sandler Wrote murder two mysteries. Two Roland Emmerich movies, two murder mysteries. Right. It's right, like, yeah, screams. okay, he's sort of yeah. like a pro, but he's not like, like this movie, you're like, this screenplay is like a brilliant work of like research and order and like, it's so, you know, and it's like, just right. funny that he's the only credited scriptwriter, but he no, is This movie came out and you were like, because I mean, Leslie, you know this better than anyone, but it's like <laughs> oftentimes a writer's credits do not actually represent who they are That's exactly in Hollywood, right. where yeah. you're like, well, you make 20 great scripts that are unproduced. That's the right. thing that comes out has been rewritten to shreds or whatever. <laughs> and so he has like his year where he hits the map. is He wrote three movies in 2003. Right. Darkness Falls, Basic and The Rundown. And as he puts it, he Which says... Which is a hot year in terms of just getting three well, getting movies made. Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But he says, I'd had three movies made. One was about a killer tooth fairy. That's yeah. Darkness Falls. One was this John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson movie that isn't Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Good line. That's basic. <laughs> Good uh -huh. line. And the rundown I do love, but it's The Rock's second action movie. Right. You know, right. it's not exactly Shakespeare. Right. Uh, Although now it's yeah. maybe one of his better movies. It definitely. It's a fun um, movie. But, but yes, when this movie comes out, you're like, oh, well, this is who this guy is. Yes. And now we're dealing with like a fucking powerhouse. Yeah. And then it is when he starts getting hired on to like Spider-Man, because he's originally hired to write Spider-Man 4 or 5 before it then turns into the, Amazing Spider-Man right. 1. Sure. Yeah. He's writing a Raimi sequel that then gets rebooted and whatever. And I was like, well, this is equivalent to them hiring Alvin Sargent to write the Raimi films. Like, I took that no, news as sure. like, this is elevated. It's absolutely, like, the script reminds me so much of L.A. Confidential. Yeah. Like, it reminds me so much of that, like, you know. Methodical. Methodical. It it restarts in the middle of mm -hmm. it. There's like, you know, that Wheel of Fortune scene in L.A. Confidential where all of this, it's like, you think it's, it feels like it should be over. And then, boom, the movie starts up again. And literally each scene is like. Just as the scenes are ending, you can feel the next scene being like, get out of the way, I'm here. You know, like, yes. there's just like, there's such an artistry to it that I agree. I, I, It's a little incongruous with. Is LA Confidential one of your favorite movies? Because it's one of mine. I would say it's up there for sure. I, I, I mean, it was a huge movie for me. I would say when I was younger, I haven't watched it in a bit, but I, I would put it in the, in, in the Zodiac category mm -hmm. of like, a nook and cranny yeah. movie yes. that you can exist you in, in and live yeah. in. And it's a whole world. And like, again, you're like, which part is coming next? Is it this part oh, or totally. this part? Right. The interrogation is like, coming up. Great. Oh, great. Okay, great. Yep. No, I love right. this. Every love this scene's scene is my favorite scene. Every yeah. scene is your favorite scene. Yeah. And, and it really does feel like it follows, um, uh, Zodiac feels like it follows in the footsteps of yes. that. A, a couple important script context things. The Salerno script was much more of a thriller. Yeah, well, and it has this... The big this, hook. This concept of like, and then the Zodiac returns. Right. Like oh, it's God. set in modern day San Francisco right. and he's back. So no, it's sort you. of like an adaptation of Gray Smith's nonfiction book and a speculative With sequel. With the what if, <laughs> all of a sudden, right. we got another letter. You know, like, like, we all know that Custer died at Little Bighorn. <laughs> what I... Yes. What this yes. book presupposes yes. is... Yes. yes. What if he didn't? You know, like, but that's basically like <laughs> that's Shane Salerno in 1999 being like, 
what's the version of this that's sellable to Disney? And Shane right? Salerno seems like, again, the man wrote Alien versus Predator. He's he's more in the lurid space. Yeah. Yes. yeah but yeah. also, like, and he's writing a lot of, like, true crime stuff at this point in time. But I think he's, like, the whole thing that makes this movie so great but makes it so difficult is that it's, like, there is no resolution. And we None. have to live with the lack of resolution. Yeah. And he's trying to make a movie where someone can win. There can be some closure, which means you need to tack on Right. fantastical Vanderbilt. thriller. Vanderbilt is very much like in his like pitch notes being like, right. there will be no resolution. Because he's like, going to Graysmith and Graysmith's like, I've been down this road. And his pitch to Graysmith is, I'm going to do the movie that lives in the space of what this actually was. The right. frustration, yeah. the obsession, the longing. And Fincher, when he reads Vanderbilt's script, because Fincher is the first choice because he made seven. But I'm sure Fincher, that's the thing. Ever since he makes seven, if there's some serial killer movie is getting sent it and going like, well, I don't want to do that. But of course, the Zodiac Killer is much more meaningful to him. Vanderbilt says, they told me, well, we're going to offer it to Fincher. And I went, great, let's get that out of the way so we yeah, can go yeah, on exactly. the list of right, real right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why would he want to do this again? And yeah. Fincher, obviously, yes, he grew up in the shadow of the Zodiac, so it's like in his brain in a way that most, but he's also like, I see this as a newspaper story, like an All the Presidents Meant kind of movie. And Vanderbilt's like, yeah, okay, you get right. it. Like, right. you know. Not only does this guy want to do the movie, which I wasn't expecting, but he wants to do this movie for the reasons I didn't think he would want to. Right. And then Fincher says to him, great, so now you need to go and spend the next 18 months interviewing every single no, person. No, he was like, anyway, now, well, I'll read a couple of books and then let's start production in two <laughs> weeks. Yeah, no, then they're like, right, we're going to interview every single survivor, <laughs> right. every fucking cop and journalist we can get our That's hands the thing. on. Like, yeah. you imagine 18 the script, months yeah. of like deep research. You imagine yeah. the script was very good at the point the Fincher read it, but it was a script that was an adaptation of the book. Yeah. And then he was like, now you need to essentially become Robert Graysmith, <laughs> do your own investigation. Yes, exactly. Dig into all of these people. Yeah. And like just deepen the script. Yeah. Which is just circumstances that are kind of like unreplicatable in terms of why this script stands out in the rest of his career. Yeah. Um, like Graysmith is so full of praise for him. And my favorite thing is that him being like the, you know, the attention to detail this man mm -hmm. had and all that is that like there's a there's no flashlight shot in the movie where you can really see the flashlight on the road. Mm -hmm. Even though the Zodiac killer had claimed he could he could like put a flashlight on his gun so that you could see it. And Fincher went to a flashlight museum. Stop. <laughs> and said, like, so in 1969, were there bulbs that existed that could have done this? And they, like, Obsessed. searched yeah. their like, bulb archive and were like, no, like, oh my there's God. no way. And Fincher was like, then it couldn't be done. <laughs> like, and so the flashlight will look like this in the movie. Like, shit like that. Where is the flashlight Great museum? Great question. I'd love to go there with God, David with Fincher. David Fincher. Yeah. Please, <laughs> dear Lord. Um, Patreon app. Uh, God, that made me really excited. I'm just, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> no, it's so good. I'm very, I'm very and titillated by that story. Graysmith's quote is essentially, he outdid the police. My hat's off to him. <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, right, he came in with questions that people had not asked in 40 years of investigating this case. Right. Well, I think, isn't that part of the the appeal of Graysmith in general to, as well, like in, yes. in, in writing the book, was that he was just the guy that like, it didn't feel like a reporter. It didn't right. feel and like he's a not, cop. He's not Department of Justice, right? He's yeah. not like some, you know, uh, monkey on their back. He's this nerd. Yeah. Which, he, by the way, is I think the way that Fincher kind of Trojan horses a studio into greenlighting this movie is that pitch sounds a little sticky. Right. Of like, and he's just some guy. He's a cartoonist right. yeah. who finds himself in the center. He's an everyman. And it's Jake Gyllenhaal right. coming off of uh, Brokeback. Yeah. You yes. know what I mean? Like, they couldn't be hotter, you know? Yeah. And like, it's me doing serial killers again. Yes. Right. 
Like you can see them ignoring what the actual script is. Exactly. They're just so excited. Yeah. They're just like so over And they know the how they can sell a movie like that. And then they and get a three hour. Right. They're like, why is it long? <laughs> why is there a three minute sequence of them talking on the phone to Dermot Mulroney, literally doing what cops have to do of like, here are the various reasons we Wait, deserve are you talking a about warrant. Getting the, getting the warrant? <laughs> which is not in the theatrical cut. Yeah, like it's only on the cut. DVD. Yeah. Right. Because that was one of the scenes where the studio is like, absolutely not. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. Like, yeah, Fincher's, no. Fincher's like, I thought it was funny, you know, because it was kind of like Charlie's Angels, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> his like, joke, yes. <laughs> like, he's, like, he's like, I thought it was a joke. And the studio's like pulling their hair out. Yeah. Like, they're like, it's two hours into the movie. Like, we know they need a warrant. Like, you know, come on. Do you realize Graysmith meets Tosky at one hour and 40 minutes yeah, into, yeah. The yeah. into the movie? Yeah, way into the movie. Way into the movie. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. And like, it's again, it's not like a movie where they're like, part one, the journalist, part two, right. the cops, part three, Graysmith. It's like baton passing back and forth. Those like, three guys. And this is why it's like LA Confidential, though. It's yeah. those three guys. It just yeah. kind of it's seamlessly. It's those three guys, but right. Like the movie just kind of like passes. It, there's works. different alliances. Exactly. Right. Like yeah, we're going to yeah. pass a, We're going to pass it off to Avery. Now we're going to pass and then it off to Avery kind of departs like halfway, two thirds of the way into the movie. Like he's basically gone. And like, yeah, like, yeah. like the Kevin Spacey character. Well, he departs. All right. But he's also like <laughs> still alive. Rolla Tomasi. Well, that Avery's still alive, but like haunting the movie like yes. a ghost. Like Every a ghost, once yeah. in a while you see yeah. him again, you're the like, fuck, that guy's library. just like yeah. a ruined man in the wake of this. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What are you talking about? You yeah, don't play pong, drinking quarts of vodka in the morning <laughs> <laughs> on your houseboat. God, this fucking movie. I love this movie so much. Everyone who made the movie basically was like, it was like Chinese water torture. David yep. Fincher is a maniac. I respect and love him, but oh my God. Oh yeah. The first scene that they shot was the scene on the the steps where he's like, I, you know, stop calling my house. It's like after he's right. been accused, Toski's been accused of writing the letter. Right. And they said that he shot it 56 times. Yeah. And they were just like, help, help. I would say Hall's <laughs> the biggest on the record baby about it. Partly I think because he would even say now, like, yes. I was immature about it a little bit. He's 26. Uh, he's very young. Movie, 27. Yeah. And yeah, 1980. So yeah, it'd be about 25, 26. Downey's yeah. happy to be there because he was uninsurable two right. years da earlier. For Downey, I think it's huge, but Downey is hilarious and rueful about like, it's a lot. He told And there's the yes. anecdote about him peeing in jars and like bringing them around being like, I can't go to my fucking trailer. So I guess yeah. I'll pee in this jar. Yes. There's a really good anecdote. Hall has the Fincher paints with people line. Like yes. it's tough to be a color where I'm like, you poor baby. Oh, you happened wow. to be in the best movie ever he's made. He's also like, so good in it. That's the thing amazing. that's so annoying is because yeah. like- it, He's listen, really well cast. You listen to him on the commentary and he's such, he is, he he's actively complaining in the yes. commentary and saying, you know, oh, we had to do this so many times. We had to do this. And he, but, but he's so good in it that it's kind of strange to me. Because also, you know, after this movie, doesn't he kind of go down like a weird he, space? He, goes down he a has a weird. little bit of a weird run. And then we get prisoners and he's back. Yes. Make right. your point, Griffin. But yes, then right. A note on Jill and Hall. When is this film shooting? What's the the run of the shoot? I want to make sure I'm not wrong before I say this. Basically, September 2005 to February 2006. So this is a big part of it, I know. And I, there was sort of like uh, uh, whispers and gossip around this and comment section at the time. And now in, in later interviews, both of them have corroborated this. Okay. This movie is filming during the Brokeback campaign season. Ooh, right, right, right. Got right. it, sure, got sure. it. It starts yeah, filming basically right as the movie's premiering. Yeah. At the festivals, the fall festivals, running through the whole season. He wraps right before he actually has to go to the Oscars. 
and he's like the guy. Yeah. He's now being pushed as like finally maybe his moments like coming to escalate up to like the A-list status. And Fincher will not release him to do shit. Right. Right. And Fincher's like, you Zodiac signed up. You're here. Yeah. You have to be 100% focused in on this. Right? right. And the other times he's worked with like A-list actors, it's someone like Pitt who's like, I need to like rebuild myself. Right. And also Pitt's like, I don't want to play that game. I don't care. Like, you I, know. I, I hate yeah, this. That's right. true. I'm giving myself over to you. Break me and rebuild Like me. when Pitt yeah. played the game to win the Oscar for Hollywood. Yes. That was him finally being like, Oh, you guys want me to like show up and smile and like right. do some jokes? I'll do that. And I'm they divorced. Were like, they were like, take the Oscar, please, <laughs> right. Brad. You know, like he didn't, but he had been like ignoring that for a long time. But I right. think John Hall's like, this is my moment. Everything's being handed to me in every sense. A, I'm not going to these like awards functions. He's not letting me attend them, right? B, there's all this other press I can be doing. Fincher was like, he was constantly surrounded by like 10 I'll, people. I'll give you the line. Yeah, I'll get, yeah exactly. Right. He says, Jake was in the unenviable position of being young. And having a lot of people vie for his attention while working for someone who does not allow you to take a day off, mm -hmm. Mr. Fincher. Mm -hmm. He made a bunch of movies. I don't think he'd ever been asked to concentrate on Minutia. I think he was very distracted. He had people whispering that Jarhead was going to be a massive movie that put him in another league because oh, that's right. going to come out. Yes. Uh, every weekend he was being pulled to go to Santa Barbara and the Palm Springs Film Festival and the Expletive Catalina Film Festival. Guess uh, Catalina doesn't meet David's... Uh, <laughs> It's a fucking Catalina film. <laughs> uh, and when he'd show up for work, he was very scattered. He had his managers and his silly agents who were coming to his trailers at lunch to talk to about the cover of GQ. That's the exact thing. He was Fincher being nibbled to death by ducks and yes. not particularly smart ducks. Right. right. It was hard for him to hit the fastball. Now, the way Fincher's talking about it, you're like, it almost sounds like, and that's why he's terrible in the movie. And you're like, you got a very good performance well, out no, of it. No, you don't did, think yeah. it was like it was deliberate or by design, but all of that actually kind of helps the movie. It I think it, does, it yeah. helps latter half grace him being yeah. trapped in the film yes, and yeah, being yeah, forced yeah. to obsessively do this over and over again. I think he's like, not just, I want to get my flowers and fucking like own this award season and go to every like banquet and whatever, where Fincher's like, you get to go to like 5% of them. Yeah. But also people are like strategizing. He's at like presidential campaign right. level of like, are you going to be a major movie star? Yeah. Where they want him to do everything. And he probably also wants to like go out and fucking party and shit. I also think that it doesn't help that the character is so passive for the first half of the movie. Yeah, like that, a lot that of scenes of him so being So many scenes are him goose. sort of just reacting. And Ruffalo and RDJ are so cool in this movie. Exactly. And it's like, right, I'm yeah. playing the Boy Scout. And to do 60 takes of like reading a letter. Or scribbling down a thing. Yeah. Or, or, or reacting to like, oh, I guess my theory is wrong. You know, like it just, I can, I can see that sort of also grading on him. Like, yeah. where's my moment? Like, but, when but I, do yes. I get to... I think so much of it is that it was also just like, the fact that it was the Brokeback Award No, you're season. right. No, yeah. I think it's a fair yeah, call. It makes sense. It's the only Oscar yeah. season he ever got to be a part of yeah. thus far. There, There is an exchange on the, the David Pryor extensive making of documentary yeah. um, that I think about all the time where Fincher is doing what is clearly like take 60 over the shoulder, close up of his hands, yeah. scribbling something, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he's giving him some note. And like, Jonho looks up to him like a little kid wanting the approval of your dad at yeah. the baseball game. And he's like, I'm good at inserts, right? Like, I think I'm like, I think I'm like particularly good at inserts. God. And Fincher, in his way, goes like, 
No, no, no. You are you are good at inserts. You know, it's it's the actual like dialogue scenes that that aren't usable. Oh, oh my god, my David, god, David. And Come he's like, now. and then he kind of hits me. He's like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And John Hall's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, but I am good at inserts, right? <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. And Fincher's like, yes, 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 you are. Good job, and he goes, buddy. and you know why? Because I understand why they're important. <laughs> oh and he's like so desperate to be like, I want you to give me the credit for acknowledging that I understand that this isn't meaningless. Yes, yeah. I'm really trying to focus on like giving you what you need. I don't think because it's just my hand, it's not acting. But it's like their whole dynamic in a nutshell. Yeah. You can extrapolate from that. Yeah. My favorite line actually is Ruffalo saying like, I did my first day with 68 takes with Jake. It's the scene you were talking about. And I oh, was 68, like, yeah. I was like, please kill me. And Fincher <laughs> came over walking up at some point. I was like, I hope he's coming here to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of like one day and you're like, I hope Fincher's going to be like, Mark, that's enough. You're that's like, enough. You're, you're thank, not. Thank Mark's you so like, much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the actors who work yeah. best within Fincher's system, and it does feel like Ruffalo got there. By his admission, he was the one who took to it he, the most. He says, yeah. I finally understood, quote, he's taking a stab at immortality. Yeah. Which I think is a really great well, line from Ruffalo, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he 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 decided good enough is not fucking good, enough. which is a great line as well. Yeah, yeah. but well, also, I think Ruffalo is kind of a great guy. like people like Eisenberg talk about, and it's kind of surprising that it comes from him, considering how neurotic he is. Yeah, but that he's like at a certain moment, it actually becomes comforting to go like there is so little pressure on any one take, right. as much as you know he's like striving for immortality and perfection. He's given you the space to have each take just be like, and just try stuff. And try just do stuff. it. Because yeah. we're going to keep doing it. We're not moving on until we have it. So rest assured, I will not let this be done until I have the take I want. And Gyllenhaal talks about, like, for me, I like the pressure cooker of you only have five takes to get right. this right. Right, 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 right. I want the right, risk. Right. There is something about that in my experience where you're like, oh my God, we're running out of time or we're going to get kicked out of this location yeah. or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, you know, it's like famously Tommy Lee Jones did that, you know, big monologue in the in the fugitive twice. Yeah. You know, they had two takes that they just like, you know, spliced together and then that was it. And, you know, wins him an Oscar. Yeah. You know, like it's like there is something about that. I think that when you watch Fincher's stuff, though, it seems like it would be impossible to again, his staging with camera, it would be impossible to do unless you've done it 56 times Correct. because because the camera is moving perfectly. Yes. The camera's not just like sort of like tilting up when Jillian Hall stands up when they, when he's talking about, you know, um, you know, door to door, you know, I've walked it, like that whole diner scene at Great the end, like scene. so such incredible scene. But even just the way the camera moves to capture him, like as a director watching that move, you're like your camera guy and the actor and everything, everything has to be working at the same moment yeah. so that it's perfect. And I envy the money and the time and the power that Fincher has to yes. do that. And yet at the same time, I'm not sure that I would be a better filmmaker if I had that, to it's be quite honest. specific mind. Yeah. But like in my past experience as an actor, the most frustrating feeling in the world is to be like, that was the take. Yeah, and you like hit your fucking like scene uh, scene mate on the shoulder, and you're like, "But that was it. We fucking yeah. got it." And then you hear someone go like, "Sound was off on that one." Right, right, right. right, right. And right. then the director yells from behind the monitor, "Like, okay, so we'll go with take three. Versus Fincher being like, "If sound is off, but performance was right in that one, we're gonna keep going until the take where both are correct." It's not just about making actors do it eighty times. No, it's I would not. Be so th bad. That's the thing. Which that's people lose that. I think in talking about him. I agree. When they talk about him, I think they're they talk about. They're thinking he's exacting on the performances. He's exacting on every single aspect of it. You just can't 
do what he does. No. Unless you're doing t- takes, you know, that are in the double digits. I just, yeah. I, I think I, it would no, be impossible. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's a really good Downey anecdote that he told recently in doing sort of his really good career look back stuff in the Oppenheimer press tour. Yeah. Where he was like, you know, I found it so frustrating. And there was a day and Downey, I think, prides himself on being like, I fucking I I can nail it. Yeah. Like even when I was back down on heroin, I could, I could get do it, it in three I mean, takes. Yeah. Right. Like I get results. Home for the holidays. I'll give yes. you, I'll yeah. give you Most the, relaxed performance in history. I'll give you the Downey quote now. And then we should talk about the plot of the movie. But sure. I do I do love this particular quote. This might be a different one than the one that Dossie. But you Sometimes it's really hard because it might not feel collaborative, but ultimately filmmaker is a director's medium. I just decided, aside from several times I wanted to garrote him, that I was going to give him what he wanted. I think I'm a perfect person to work for him because I understand gulags. That's the great quote. <laughs> the one he said on the Oppenheimer press tour was that like they were doing 60 takes of, of some scene, right? With him and Hall, And he was just like, David, what is the fucking holdup? Yeah. I, I guarantee you 10 of those were usable. I yeah. know it. I know it. Even if you're being as like discerning yeah, as you are. Right, yeah. right. And uh, Fincher was like, okay, Robert, come back here with me. And he made him watch all the takes on the monitor. And he went, Robert, what do you think? Do we have it? Oh and God. he went, oh, you're right. We don't have <laughs> it. That's Robert and, and Fincher Jr. Steps is the out. one who's like, he's right. I hate to admit Right. And yeah. Fincher steps out for Video Village. And he went, I thought it was good enough. But Downey <laughs> Jr. said, we don't have it. So we're delete them all. <laughs> delete them all. Get right. rid of them. Right. You, that's the other but problem. But he's like, that's is, the moment where I that, went, he is right. But yeah. this is also the first movie where he's shooting digitally, obviously, mm-hmm. which is a and crucial part of this movie. gorgeous. It looks incredible. How? A film like, that was shot in 1080p. Yes. 1080p, it looks stunning. But it, Unbelievable. it does also mean that he is literally from Video Village going, delete that take. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's crushing for people like Hall, who's like, I've made it. Yeah, to hear like, yeah, uh, a recycling bin for that one. <laughs> or Robert Rock Downey Jr. who's like, I have battled against the fucking tsunami of drug addiction for 20 years. Yes. I'm here again. And it's like, right. delete. Do you think the sound of the trash when you yeah, like yeah. drag it and plays on <laughs> yeah, set? Yeah, Fincher would put a microphone up to the, yeah. You know. So uh, yeah, like that must have been demoralizing. But you know what? They made one of the great movies. They made one of the great movies. It's, it's, it's the Ruffalo thing. It's, it's the stab at immortality. And they did it. Right, yeah. Harris Savita shot this movie. Maybe that's like right. the best cinematographer of my lifetime. Yeah. Obviously. Gone far too soon. Yes. And I do think that's part of why it looks so goddamn good. It, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make, I mean, as somebody that only shoots on digital and was only given the opportunity to shoot on digital, yeah. never was I, there was never a conversation that I've ever had about film versus Digital was just like, if you want to make this, you're shooting, you know, on the red, you're shooting on the Alexa, you're shooting. That's another reason this is one of my favorite movies, because it's like, it can look gorgeous. It gives you hope. It gives me hope. I'm just like, it can look absolutely stunning. Uh, The Thompson Viper. The Viper. Yes, Yes, that's right. Yeah. It feels like Fincher is... Man used that on uh, Miami Vice as well. Sure. Did he use it on Collateral? I'm not sure. I think no. I think on Collateral he was using... Because Collateral looks like shit. uh, My cell phone. I'm going on I was going to say. Yeah, Yeah. my cell phone from the time. Right. He was using my Nokia 3300. Um, <laughs> no, Fincher is just so To be clear, good. I love how Collateral looks, but it's <laughs> it's of its moment. But, but it what looks a like shit. I mean, it owns a, looking like shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Park Chan-wook also used the uh, Viper film. Uh, oh, on, Viper I'm a Cyborg. On, I'm a right. Cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we recently um, talked about that. No, Fincher just knows how to like, 
this is a period where people are still like, how do we make video look exactly like film? And he's like, no, you need to like push up the things that only video can do. Yes. And this is to to an off-use Sims term, a Simsian Hmm? phrase that that I think about a lot. This is a movie where the look of it makes your teeth hurt. Oh, yeah. Mm. In a good way where Mm. there's something about like, there's something a little too clinical too clear i can see too much i guess even though it's a lower resolution than we're now used to this film feels clearer How did you, I, I watched my blu-ray yeah um yeah i don't know i don't know if it looks worse on streaming or something i watched the blu-ray yeah the other thing with video he just says it was like less about him liking digital cameras more and more about workflow he he that's what he always says he's right. like yeah. i like to work in low light it's perfect for that yeah i you know i like to be able to look at takes and sort through them get quickly. a bigger monitor that. that's more yeah. representative right. in real you know, time of what it looks like right. yeah. all that he, stuff he he talks like that it's easier it. to adjust the image he knew he was going to do all and then digital it's just critics who are like he can see across america's digital horizon he's <laughs> like if you say so <laughs> it plugs into my mac that's what i like about it basically it was like i'm tired <laughs> yeah, right there's exactly. a great quote in the dossier of like i just never again wanted to sit around and watch someone take a thousand dollars of film out of a camera yeah. get a black bag yeah put a thousand dollars worth of film into the bag back into the camera and just like sit on my ass while that happens okay can we talk about the movie uh zodiac Please. begins with the lover's lane and vallejo mm-hmm. yeah. killing right that's the first sequence you don't see the first killing because no. it had no survivors and thus and also it's sort of like it's how people discovered the zodiac murder was a murder happened and this guy was like, I did this. And also, right. by the way, I did that other Which one. Which I think by is the way, great. Yeah, yeah. Right. So but you have so great to, to start it and be like, this it. is the beginning. And then immediately be told, no, this is now basically the start of a pattern that's right. being linked back to a thing you didn't see. I just remember sitting in the theater and hearing like, goodbye. And just being like, I- I've never been so scared in my life. Something that I think the first scene captures is like, the real randomness of the violence. Of course, once you finish the movie, everything, like any good cold open, everything you need to know is actually in the beginning. You know, like like you you understand who Darlene is, you understand that she's married, but she's with Mike, you understand that she is scared of somebody, like all of those things that get revealed later. Right, when you're watching it the first time, you're like, she clearly just wants to like make out with this guy and he's being kind of nervy and yeah. she's annoyed about it. And then there's like a creepy car. Okay, okay, great. You know, but the but the idea of like a random act of violence that's seemingly motiveless right. is it's uh, not on their mind. Not on their mind. Right. And and I think it's not on our minds, you yes. know, normally. Like Well, we it's just, on my mind because the film's called my stub says Zodiac. <laughs> so I am worried about it. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm I'm like so tense in the fucking theater. Yeah, yeah. But yes, of course, right. It's not that's not what they're thinking when they're going to Lovers Lane. Like, what if we got shot though by the Zodiac Killer? Are we going to talk about the dolly shot at the beginning? Yes. What sure. the hell? Okay. What the hell? Back we go. Um, sorry, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry. No, no, it's fine. But what the fuck? Like, that's the type. That's the type of thing that, as a filmmaker, you're just like, if I pitched that you know, I would be laughed out of the room. Like yes. pe- people would say, I'm so sorry, please, you're excused. Thank you so much for being here, but we, we are- Thanks for playing. But- Thanks for playing, but we we never want to see you again. Attach it to the, to attach the camera to the car right. and shut the fuck like up. Like everybody right. does. You know, like everybody yes. else, you know, like, and, and he builds what, 40? Miles of track. It's <laughs> yes. yes. like 40 yards of fucking dolly track just to, be, and, it, and it is that panic room kind of thing as well of just like the camera kind of perfectly moving 
gliding, gliding right. seamlessly to like bring you into this like, you know, here's the suburban tableau of Americana. This coming after Panic Room, it's like he's really just strengthened that sense of like camera as a character. Yes. Where there's this unearing quality to yeah. like this this camera that seems to be moving with a mind of its own. Is he Hitchcock's successor? In certain ways? Yeah. I think no. no. I think he would. I mean, he obviously cites Hitchcock so massively, but like so do so many people. But like, I think Hitchcock would watch something like Zodiac and be like, oh, don't. Why is it so fucking long? <laughs> yeah. You know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Like, point. yeah. Yeah. Like Hitchcock would be like, this is not really obeying my kind of taught, you know, storytelling He's sensibilities. Using a lot of the tools. It's like he inherited a lot of the of equipment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know the thing about the clothes? The clothes? I mean, this is the clothes. What about the, the clothing? Clothes? This is such a, like, Fincher being vindicated by the obsessiveness of, Ugh. like, getting the details right. He said, like, people always ask me when I was going to make my Amacord, and this is it. Yeah. And he's not a character in it, but he is yeah. because he's growing up in this era and also because it's a movie about, like, the movie about the pursuit of... Yes. The the kid... What's his name? The... Uh, Mike Majot? Yes. Yeah, Lee Norris is the young so it's Mike Majot. So July, Simpsons. in yeah. real life, the real Mike Majot right. was wearing three pairs of pants... What? Three sweaters and a shirt over it. Because he was cold or because he was trying to look no beefy? One no one knows. Fucking no one knows. knows. Right, you don't but know. it's a hard fact. The the conspiracy theorists are like, he like bulked up, which is why he survived. Sure. Because he had a feeling he was going to be in danger. Even if it wasn't the Zodiac, it, there's the feeling of her husband or something. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And he was sort of insulated in this way It makes sense that that's part armor. of why he's Because why else sure. would he be wearing five layers and to like... To look bigger than he was because he was a teenager. Which is the yeah. second part of it. Right. You're like, well, that's just this weird human little emotional nugget that you would never think to write. Yes. Well, but he's but also, is there and isn't unpacked or explained. He's yeah. this... Look, I mean, they talk about it in a movie, but he's this interesting thing of like, there was a survivor... But they could never talk to him. Yes. Because he just left. He was just like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm done. Yeah. And like, they're like, no, we really are trying to figure out who shot you, though. Yeah. And he was like, I don't care. I'm going off the grid. Like, and it's the 70s, so you won't find me. Yeah. Like, and and so he did. And then when he resurfaced two years later, she was like, John Carroll Lynch guy kind of looks like <laughs> the guy. Anyway, how are you doing? Greatest ending. Uh, great. Jimmy Simpson. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so we have that. And is is that the real 911 call or is it can't be, right? I think it can't be. Right? That would be crazy. Yeah. Um, but that's that call, like the goodbye is so freaky. It haunts me. Uh, but then after that, okay, we're in the we're in the credits. I'm now actually just watching Zodiac. I just have it on. Because <laughs> then you're sort of we're doing the mail cart through the chronicle offices, yes. establishing the space, but also yes. giving you the the vibe, yeah. the energy. He wanted you to get do the recreation of the, the of the room. of the newsroom, but but also the um the the port of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Transamerica building isn't built yet. Yeah. The uh, the highway that collapsed in the earthquake, he's rebuilt. Like you know, he he wants to start with that. Yeah. You know, like he wants to start with like it's San Francisco, right? Like full time yeah. machine. We're not going for pastiche or kitsch or yeah. yes. Uh, the great yeah. John Getz as the editor in chief, as good as it gets. Uh, doing, looking at his cartoons, which do look really horrid. bad. Yeah, horrid, horrid, horrid. Slightly less horrid. What is it? Not so horrid. Not right? so horrid. Let's yeah. go with not so horrid. Yeah, do you think Graysmith was good? Because you're like, <laughs> you don't give me incisive political cartoonist vibes, right? Like when no. you're like seeing him in this movie. Not in the movie. Yeah. Do you think he was a good cartoonist? I think he was like a skilled draftsman with no right, voice. Right, well, he could draw. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
I should look that up, like <laughs> Robert Graysmith's cartoons. Yeah. It's like sort of telling where he ended up, not yeah. only just like in this, but then he just continued writing like true crime yeah. books. Right. Because he wrote autofocus as well. He right? sure did. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. He just like stayed in this zone. He's good at sifting good for him. through source materials. Yes. And the like, human darkness. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at some of his cartoons now and they're not very good. It looks like, uh, yeah, nope, that one's bad too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've only got, I could only find three, but they were all really bad. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's keep it going, guys. What else is happening in Zodiac? Uh, the letters uh, arrive. John the, Terry as yeah. well. I love John Terry with the um, yeah, he's so great. glasses on his nose. This movie is obviously just like, you know, 50-something male character actor porn. Like, I also love that in this scene, um, when they get the letter, you, you don't really have that. The only thing I can think of is like the basic version of this scene is like they read the letter and everyone's like... <gasps> Yes. Oh my God. Right, oh my right. God. You know, like literally everyone's just trying to figure it out. Day it's at the like, office. Do we do we know if this Vallejo story is true? And right. he's like, I cover crime in Vallejo, you know, I like it's crime in Vallejo? I cover crime. Yes, <laughs> <I cover. laughs> you know, it just it's yeah. a bunch of it's a bunch of newsmen doing their jobs. Like they yes. they don't really the grasp. debate is more than anything, it's what page do we put this on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What yeah, are our do competitors doing? Yeah, right. what are that, our competitors that's doing? The, yeah. That is the only the debate tension. to them. Yeah. yeah. They are still like, is this basically crankpot, you know, shit, but they're kind of like, will we look stupid or get scooped right. if we don't put it on or if we do put it on? The guy who brings up is it irresponsible to publish him is like ignored immediately. Ignored immediately, yeah. yeah. And yeah. like they, I mean, in my, you know, I've heard many tales of journalism. They do the weird sort of thing where they're like, well, we'll put it on page four. And it's like, that's, it's cover or not, but whatever, right. fine. You split the difference. Good job, guys. <laughs> uh, and then Robert Downey Jr. as Paul Avery, you immediately get the generational divide thing. Mm -hmm. Like all these guys in their white collar shirts. Right. Oh yes, and he's and wearing that beautiful vest. Yeah, he's the only this, guy who's like influenced by Haight Ashbury. Yeah, he's yeah. clearly yeah. just yeah. younger and a little more plugged in than yeah. these guys, which is fine. I mean, these would be guys who were born like pre World War One. These you know fifty something newspaper editors. Absolutely. Like, yeah, and at like the, as, you know at the Chronicle. I think the Fincher uh, take uh, uh, method bearing out. Like Downey Jr. could do this in his sleep, even at yeah. this point in his career where he really has something. No, but to he prove. absolutely could. But yeah. the magic of Downey Jr. is that it almost always seems like he's doing it in his sleep. Totally yeah. right. Yeah. But like, there's something about not using his hottest take. Yeah. And using the yeah. take where he's a little burnt out and he almost is like doesn't have the energy to like throw the asides out to the room. Right. 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 He's kind of like throwing them away as he walks. Like away. there is something performative about Paul Avery. Yes. And and I think that's kind of what you're getting at. You know, but but you're right. He doesn't pick the takes where he's performative. No, and no one else reacts to it. Yeah. With anything other than frustration that he's doing his bits, his routine. Really quickly, I love the little shot of um when it's 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 before they get the letter when Graysmith walks by Paul Avery's desk and there's a bunch of people around him and they're all talking and you immediately get this little moment of like, oh, this guy's a nerd. Nobody likes him. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's also, again, a simplified version of this movie. Graysmith sees the code, mm -hmm. works on it and cracks it. Right. You cut Instead, out. he's just interested in it yeah. and no one even notices or cares except for Avery and Avery isn't like, what do you got? Yeah. He's just kind of like, I'm going to file away that the little nerd over right. there is kind of plugged into this. At the very least, so I can mock him about it. Right. Yeah. And knew that he would Wouldn't give not his name. actually reveal right. his name yeah. in this code. Yes. Yeah. But right, of course, who solved the code? 
some very cute, God bless them, married freaks who love puzzles, you know, <laughs> out right. in Most wherever. Most versions of this Modesto movie would go consolidate it. Have him crack the first one. And going back to the Gyllenhaal performance thing, have your hero do something heroic. Yes. Have him have him solve the first puzzle, yeah. which he doesn't do. No. And instead, he's going to circle around this movie kind of, un, you know, unnecessarily for half of Like it. a lost dog. Yeah. Which is Fincher's line about him where, like, unsurprisingly, Fincher liked Donnie Darko. Yeah. And was like, I'd sort of pegged him for a while. And he had the balance of being this sort of like wide-eyed kid and also playing obsessive really well. Yeah. Which you need both in this yeah. part. I guess when I'm seeing this, when I'm seeing this movie, I love Robert Downey Jr. to death and I've seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and I'm mm -hmm. kind of all in on like, the he's back. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing that, that, that the three of those guys, oh, I mean, that's the that's, thing. It's like, it was such, that's why it, it not hitting feels so weird because it's like, they were all, all about three of to them be huge. were about to be It was huge. a little bit of like past, present, future, but three guys who all deserved more than well, they had at that moment. Exactly. Ruffalo was one of yeah. those guys where I had as a little Oscar nerd, like adored him and you can count yes, on me. Adored him. And then watched him being like, Wind talkers, you know, in the cut, obviously I liked, but was a flop. But well, we've talked about this you know, too. He had like health problems. He, he bowed out of a bunch signs. of big movies. Yeah. And then it sort of felt like, wasn't that guy supposed to be the dude? What and, but then he had had Eternal Sunshine and Collateral where you're like, oh, well, he's supporting, but interesting in those. Yeah. Then he did just like having rumor has it. And you're like, he looks like he has guns trained on him at all times. Yes. <laughs> Poor guy. And so, but like still with Ruffalo, you were like, I, I'm not letting go of Ruffalo. Like, that's that's someone. But the main two reasons he was cast in this movie, I know we're getting a little ahead of his character, yeah, right? Um, one, uh, Fincher really liked him in Collateral. He's and was like, collateral. he kind of seems more like a normal person in that movie than any other character. Well, it also, he just seems like someone who talk, clearly talked to cops and was yes. like, cops act this way. Because he's sort of, you know. But he's also not playing it like a movie cop. No, but he's, you know, he's got the goatee yeah. and like the slick back hair and like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Look aside, right? Right. And he was like, I pitched him and the studio was like, Ruffalo does not look like a cop, sound like a cop, move like a cop. And he's like, that's kind of what you want in this part. Right. right. Which sure. is, I think is the genius of the casting. You need to hire an actor to play the guy that other actors are riffing on when they play movie cops. That's right. exactly right. Because that's, of course, he has to he play was. the boring right. version of a normal, of a movie star cop. The real world version. Um, but the other thing is, I assume just because of his closeness with Pitt, he said he asked Jennifer Aniston, who are your favorite actors? And she said Gyllenhaal and, and Ruffalo. And Ruffalo. Right, who are the guys the you've girl worked with, with that you think are really Gyllenhaal. good? I got a bunch of dudes to cast in this movie. Yeah. And she did Rumor Has It with Ruffalo. So Rumor Has It kind of helps him get this. Wow, thank you, Ryan. how much it's a mailman performance. <laughs> and like, I, but the, my, I was so in on, I think I've talked about this before, Gyllenhaal because of seeing him on stage and This Is Our Youth in the West End. Oh, sure. Which was one of those things where it was with Hayden Christensen which, and Anna Paquin. Which yeah. um, Ruffalo was originally in. He was. Yeah. He sure was. He was the... The first person. The, the Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah, he yeah. was Warren, yeah. Um, And that was one of those performances where we were all kind of there for Christensen and Paquin. Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh, yeah, and like the October Sky Kid's in it. <laughs> right. And then you watch it and you were like, Jesus, that kid is like so fucking sensitive and interesting. And like, and then Donnie Darko came out like around then and... He was, we were definitely like, he is going to be like, you know, whatever, the big star of yeah. the next group of kids. The moment, it, with the moment where we are in the movie too, or I think we're about to get to is sort of the moment where I fall in love with Graysmith, which is, you know, when he's trying to remember the most dangerous game, you know, like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. where when he he's, gets sort of stuck on something. Right. And I think just as somebody 
for me personally, that was when I really, I was like, I relate with that. Yes. I absolutely relate with that. And he's like ruffling paper. Ruffling papers and like just not being able and like, and then he doesn't remember until four scenes later. That's what I love. Yeah. And then he runs off. I mean, we have to talk about Lake Berryessa, but like he runs off and he comes back. Like, you know, it just, there is a type of person that will get something into their head and it will just jump around in there and be in there until, until it comes out. And uh, he nails it. He just absolutely nails how, like, sad that is, <laughs> but also how invigorating it is for the person it's happening to. The other thing I love that I think he nails and nails early on that helps sort of pin him when he's going to float around the movie for the first hour or so is, like, his hyper-literal processing of things. Yes, yeah. Where there's, like, someone makes the quip of, like, what are you, some kind of Boy Scout? And he goes, like, Eagle Scout. Eagle Scout. That's later in and the And he movie, doesn't even treat it as, like, yeah. this is an important correction. He's just, just like, like, oh, yeah, of course. Right. I mean, I was an Eagle Scout. Or the, like, do you smoke? Do, do you, yes. Yeah. One time in high school. Yeah. An in- incredible line. Yeah. That. <laughs> he he improv so that. hard. That is so t- a so fucking funny that. line. Uh, one other thing early on that I really want to note is that Fincher, God bless him, shows us them taking a picture of the codex. Oh, God. Because he's like, it's so sexy. Hey, man, back in the day, this yeah. is what you had to do. Go yeah. take it down to the studio oh. and we're going to line it up and we're going to put God. it under the big, and we're going to, you know, because um, I almost, in the movie, I'm like, how is everyone even getting a copy of it? You yeah. know what I mean? You, we're now, I mean, whatever. We're so used to just like, yeah, so you can take a picture of it. Phones. Well, you know, iPhone, iPad, I don't know anymore. <laughs> um. Anyway, all right. So when is the, Lake Berryessa. Yeah, that's right after. Yeah, okay, here we are. Yeah. yeah. And they actually went there to shoot it. Yes, they did. Another yeah. reason this movie costs a lot is Fincher was like, we're going to each of the real places. <laughs> right. And they were like, pick one side of California. Yeah, exactly. And right. he was like, North and South yeah. are different. They're different. If if the cities exist, we're going to those cities for those departments and those precincts right. and those Right, but then he's like, we're going to shoot in San Francisco. And San Francisco's like, you're not shooting a Zodiac movie here. Yeah. And he was like, well, guess I have to recreate it using fabulous digital technology then. <laughs> and the studio is like, God, that's also God, expensive. God damn it. My favorite thing about Lake Berryessa, which I assume no one's ever been to, no. including me, yeah. is that it has a gigantic uh, artificial hole in it. Oh, wow. wow. To deal with like sluicing. And it looks like a portal to hell. Wait, yes. <laughs> to deal with what? Like sluicing the water out if it overflows sluicing? or something. I don't What's the word you just used? Sluicing. Sluicing? Yeah, look, leave me alone. I don't know anything about lakes. I'm just learning a new word. It's called a spillway. Uh, yeah, so if there's like heavy rains, they open the spillway and they okay. get it out, I and guess. They sluice them. And they, and someone sluice sims? They, they someone like, someone got, uh, shut up, uh, <laughs> be quiet. Someone dra- Someone got sucked into the spillway once. Really? Yeah, which is an unfortunate. But it anyway. It truly looks like a portal to hell. Yes. So this sequence at the lake, much yeah. like the, 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 the lover's lane sequence is scary, obviously, yes. but that's more like, you're like, yeah, he shot them. Hurdy gurdy man's playing. Yes. It's like, there's, there's it's a time. Yeah. There's you know, the, something almost like kind of, I would say, I would venture to say entertaining about that particular it's a little sequence. More what you would imagine right. from a Fincher series. There's the frightening thing. details yeah. such as like he randomly walked right back and shot them another couple times in the phone yeah. call. Yeah. But like the Lake Berryessa sequence is so weird. Yes. And no one would ever make anything look like this except that this is how this happened which only makes it scary. This is the first scene where I go, oh, I think I'm watching a masterpiece. Right. Like that, this oh, is the moment absolutely. in the theater where I go, this, this just leveled when, up. When he stabs 
the guy Tell Jane first, the right? sound. Yes, yes. When she turns over, I, I almost, I almost screamed in the theater. Yeah. Like, like, and I've never screamed at a scary movie. Like, and I was right. I, my, I could feel it coming up in my throat of just like I might start screaming. I've never been so terrified. There's something about the dullness of the sound of the knife going in oh where you're God. like, well, of course, right. It just sounds like a butcher working. Yeah. And you're like, I've never seen a movie where this isn't accentuated it's by. It doesn't sound like a knife no, going into no a melon score, or whatever. There's no, right. like, yeah, there's yeah, nothing. Yeah. Ha- it's just so pedestrian. So you're just hearing like nature sounds and this sort of like. <laughs> and the and weird, then, the weird conversation too. And because like. That's what's weird too. It's like. He has a gun. Why doesn't he just shoot them? He stands there weirdly for a while. He's in this getup. I escaped from right. jail. He tell I'm taking your car. It's it's motiveless. It doesn't he doesn't have a connection to these two. Like, like he designed a supervillain costume for himself. He never used it again. No. Yeah. Shit like that where you're like, why do he do that? That shot like that sort of like western shot of his belt where you see the, like the his ropes. like utility yeah. belt oh, of God. all his different things. It's absolutely bizarre yeah. and and bizarre in only the way that like real life could be bizarre. And even just the fact that they see him without the mask. He's coming, he turns yeah. back around behind the tree, then puts the rest of his costume on. Then comes back out. I mean, right. you're just like this fucking loser. Do you know what I mean? Like, is yeah, is about he's a to kind of a loser. Commit this heinous, bizarre act of violence against these two unsuspecting people. And it's, yes, the Fincher thing he says about this movie so much is like, I wanted to make a movie that serial killers couldn't masturbate to. Right. Yes. Yeah. The challenge was: can you make something that somehow doesn't glamorize them at? All it right. is it is really the anti seven. It makes them seem so dorky. It's like you have no plan, bro. Yes. Like the, it's it's not like this artful like and we're and I'm making art projects out of my victims and I'm following this like seven deadly sin. It's like the opposite of that. It's like I am randomly yes. shooting people for no reason except that I want to be famous. And part of what's so uh, scary and upsetting is like the clumsiness of oh, it. Oh, God. And that he's using such extreme technical precision and like using CGI to augment, replicating things in the least cinematic way, in the way that makes them feel kind of dull and meaningless. That's more upsetting. I think what he taps into in that scene is that in the back of your mind, not when you're watching the movie, but when you're just walking around it in life, way, way in the back of your mind is this, is that little fight or flight, like somebody, somebody could hurt me. You know, I'm just walking to the subway. Someone could hurt me. There's no stimuli for it. It's just way in the back there. And, and that, whatever, whatever that little part of your brain is, it's so hyperactivated watching yes. this movie that I was aware of it for weeks afterward. Like weeks, for weeks, I was just like, someone is going to stab, jump out of nowhere and stab me for no reason. Especially because the victim is talking through all of these excuses. Right, he keeps he, saying He lists things. off like probably six different things, which is I something you, you would check. do. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I can I'm not help even saying you. him trying to get out of it. I'm saying even like, she's like, uh, that guy's kind of weird. It's oh, a public well, that, place. Yeah, well that part first, right? The, the buildup, right. But there's just something frightening about how he then keeps trying to be like, I'll give you my money. Yeah. I could write you a check. I could probably help you out. And he, the guy's just saying nothing to it's him. It's shot right. perfectly. You you yes. you have you have no like matching coverage. Like everything is from the victim's POV all the way up to that extreme close-up of you know, was that gun even loaded? And he shows him the, the oh my God. Yeah. It's just like absolutely bone chilling there's to this that day. The thing about it being, I mean, when when he is being stabbed in the back. Mm. 
right? And you cut to the shot of her just kind of watching it yep. so close to his face, looking at his reaction while she hears this sound. And then when it finally cuts out to the wide shot and she turns over, oh, that moment you're talking about, the fact that the blood is digital. Yeah. And for him, it's like, I don't want to have to deal with resets and costume right, changes right. and all of that. All of the violence. I still think most done. digital blood looks fake and yeah. somehow this still looks better than anything he else knows, just knows 15 years right. earlier. Yeah, yeah. I don't but know how he did it. It's when she turns over and you're watching new wounds be created, but also the old wounds are growing and expanding. And yeah. you're like, this is actually what it looks like. Yeah. I'm used to seeing squibs in a way that is like, yes. I accept this is the oh, language yeah. of it. Yeah. But I feel like for the first time, I'm watching what would actually happen if you're three inches away <sighs> from oh. someone being stabbed to death, which is the most upsetting shit in the world. Yeah. You're really kind of in Brian. What's his last name? Hartnell, the victim? Um, Brian. Like, he's, but you're like, you're, Brian, yeah. you're yes. watching his POV yeah. of her, like, cause he's, he's They're on that right side of her. Each other. It's almost as if he turned and that shot is what he's seeing. Yes. And it's just like the ultimate powerlessness. They're fucking hogtied. Oof. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, again, I'm like shaking right now talking about it. So then we should be right. Like, I do think it's then reason this movie works. We're cutting back to newspapers and it is such a relief. You're yes. just so glad. And You're Avery so is such a relief. Now, because yeah. Gray Smith's a little freak and he's immediately drawing a picture of the Zodiac in his weird bag costume. Mm -hmm. And he, Avery has the perfect, like, you know, where he's like, what is he doing out of Vallejo? Sweet Jesus, what are you drawing? <laughs> like, yes. And like, I love the, the combo of them because Avery is like, I am fundamentally, I'm a crime reporter. Like, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, this is going to be the case that defines his career. Yeah. But he's like, I, you know, I know how to write about this. Yeah. And then Graysmith is like the shadow on the horizon of like, you don't understand the freakish obsession with this kind of stuff that's dawning. Yeah. yeah. Like as we enter this like tragic American age, right? It's the 60s end mm -hmm. and fucking, you know, the nasty 70s arrive and all that. And Graysmith is like, I'm just compelled by this. Right? Yes. Great. I mean, like, that's why this movie's so fucking influential to this day because I don't know if you've heard about this but a lot of people are really interested in true crime to this day in this kind of obsessive way it is the part of the movie where you're like social network you can give him credit for like you can kind of see where things are going and yes. that movie seemed yeah. to predict a lot of things correctly or have yeah. a good clear vision of where we were heading but like no one making this film could have anticipated no. that like Reddit would become right, right. Sure, yeah, basically yeah. a million Robert Graysmiths interfacing with each other <laughs> and all being like, I'm the one person who can solve this despite right. not having the qualifications. So yeah. right after all that, bird's eye view shot of a cab going mm -hmm. through San Francisco, turning, cameras like fixed on the cab and then we see the cab murder. Like that's 25 minutes into the movie, we're done with Zodiac killing. There's one more sequence with Ioni Sky, you know, the, which is not a murder. The Kathleen Johns, right. yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. But like, but that's it. Yes. Then we have two plus hours of movie left. Right. And this is, it's only after this sequence that you finally introduce. Meet the cops. Because yeah. there's a San Francisco crime that went down. Yeah. Um, but that, that car shot is another one where you're like, why, why did what that just this? Why does it look like me Grand so Theft much? Auto yeah. 1? And he's just like, it is, it, it is a shot that is technically impossible. Yes. Right? To have this bird's eye view that like hairpin turns The way the camera perfectly. turns. It's, yes. Again, it's, right. it's like that dolly shot at the beginning. Like yes. it's like this can't exist. But it's also not like stupid Zemeckis mocap impossible flying camera shit. No, no. It's like he's treating it like there is a real camera there. 
but then training it to do a thing that it wouldn't actually do. Yeah, we talk about this in Star, like in working working on Star Wars, that that like when you go into space and you're you're shooting the 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 ships, mm-hmm. it's like there's definitely this feeling of like when the VFX people turn it in that they want to kind of give you a sense that there's a cameraman. Yes. And I'm like, no, there's no cameraman in space. You know what I mean? Like the camera, the camera should be almost documentary style. Like it just, it, it only can pan and move right. in this way that, that um, George wanted to, to do his like cycling documentary or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it was, you know, like there's no, there's no shaky, like, oh, I didn't realize that was coming, right, you know, right. like, you faked know, mistakes. The fa- or the faked mistakes or right. like, any of those things. And I think like Fincher is always doing that. It's not the camera can go anywhere. I mean, yeah. it can, but, and it can defy certain rules, but only the rules that would, that would tell the story in the best way. Well, it's like a visual omniscient narrator. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like, yeah. it knows the exact move to make at the exact right time. Yeah, it's like, oh, the cab's moving. Boom. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. just to be clear, yes, Star Wars doesn't have that, but it does have a Tosky station. It does. <laughs> named after Dave Tosk. Of course. And Luke wants to go there to pick up some, some power, power converters. Some power converters, yeah. yeah. he never gets them. He never gets them. But soon, of course, Disney Plus will have a new show in which Luke got the power converters. Yes. Right? It'll be 10 episodes <laughs> of him going back to get yeah. them. Yes, absolutely. That would be good. Absolutely. Fill in some gaps, No, please. that's like, I want like the workplace sort of like auto parts sitcom. <laughs> Tosky? Yeah. Uh, the introduction of Mark Ruffalo as Dave Tosky. Uh, I do love the line about where he's like, you owe me a new lamp. I'm going to like describe, describe lamp. this lamp to you. <laughs> June Diane Raphael, her first film appearance. Oh, I always really? forget she's yeah. in this. Yeah. It was her first, I didn't know it was her first film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, wild. I get why he cast her though, because June Diane Raphael does look like someone from a different time. Like she yeah. looks like a sixties gal in a yes. way, you know, like you just give her a hairstyle. I love uh, that they right never there. say her name. Uh, yeah, they don't. Carol. Carol Tosky. <laughs> I got it. Um, but, uh, and then, I mean, we haven't mentioned him yet. Anthony Edwards. You know, Jesus among us, the greatest man who ever lived, Dr. Green. <laughs> I don't remember what profile it was. I guess it must have been some piece when he was making this movie, but uh, I just remember reading a description of Fincher behind the monitor, watching Anthony Edwards work. And like going like, that's an actor. Yeah. Like yeah. yelling to the crew. He's like, look at that. Every fucking take is different. He seems yeah. so Fincherian. Yeah. Whatever Fincher that is. Fincher just seemed happier with him. Than he like loved him. He's so Any other actor he's ever worked with. He's so good in this movie. So good. Because he never wants to steal a scene, right? Like, yeah. you know, because he truly feels consummate, you know, the guy that he's playing. But also he's like, th- this movie can only exist because of how thorough this guy's notes were, right? right so right. he's like, this guy's the secret hero of the movie. That's that's exactly right. And yeah. the tragedy of the film, the thing that makes the film so kind of bleak is that halfway through, he's like, I shouldn't be in this movie anymore. I can't anymore. do this yeah. anymore. Right, right, right. This yeah. is going in a bad direction. But like you immediately understand they're in the car together. Toski's obviously this like interesting odd guy. And there's fucking, you know, what's his name? Uh, Armstrong. And, you know, Toski's like, do you have any? He's like crackers, you know, handing him the crackers. Like they're this Throws unit. him a reclosable snack sack. The way this scene looks, like the low light. Like this is where the digital is like tr- a triumphant An thing. absolute triumph, yeah. Right? Like the fact yes. that there's so much clarity, but it's like the middle of the fucking night. Right. And yeah. this is the sequence that's like entirely built in CGI. And it yeah. doesn't seem like there are no. floodlights everywhere or no. whatever you would have to do normally. And Fincher so rarely does handheld. Exactly, I was going to say. You almost feel like he's doing it to ground the sequence around the fact that he's building a fake yes. environment. Right. Yes, right. I, I, th- I think that's actually... 
so right on because he doesn't do, like you said, he doesn't do handheld unless it's, you know, deeply, deeply called for. And and I think it is because he's trying not to mask the the yeah. digitalness of it, but it's almost like a flex because then you have to go shoot like <laughs> the plates for all of that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't know. It just seems wild to me that the, the the scene should not look as good as it does. No. And it and it's it's absolutely stunning. It's perfect. As you said, their dynamic of just like this very casual. Where they're like, doing the back and working forth. Like, well, then why does he go to the front? You know, like where you're sort idiot. of like. Right. This but feels, you're not an idiot. But you're I not love an that. Idiot. <laughs> you're but like, cheating. Where you're like, it's too easy to think this guy's an idiot. punchy. Yes. In a way. But you're like, I guess this is sort of the building blocks of them just trying to figure out basic motivations. Which, again, right. This thing. I don't understand how this movie depicts this well. It's so but good. I'm like. You are showing us the real versions of the people who usually get turned into movie characters. That's right. And I feel like I'm watching like, well, this is the documentary on who the guy who the movie right. character was based on. And yet I'm still watching movie stars play out scripted scenes. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is why The Wire had felt so revolutionary, which is around the same time. Things like that, where yeah. it's like, yeah, this is like boring and methodical and hunchy in a way that feels like we expect more of a Sherlock Holmes like. The handle, you know, it, right. it clearly this killer was five foot ten or whatever. Where Anyone you're like, else what? turns like, their banter of yeah. talking through the crime into like a superpower? Right. That's exactly right. right. Yes, right. and yes. instead, what you get is is just competency and process. You know, and and process, and just like okay, these guys are competent. They're going through the process. This is not the first shot cabbie that they've dealt with before. Yeah, and we, with the dramatic irony of knowing who's done this. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we're the ones that are like, oh, man, they they, they, they have right. no idea what they're about to step in. Here's right, the other thing they, with this The movie. next scene is the letter. Yeah. It's like them at the newspaper. We, and you like, know, we yeah. just went from, you know, routine cabbie shooting to mass murderer targets kids. Like, it's it's almost this beautiful little dance that you get to watch with them and see who they were before yes. they get destroyed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the you know? other thing with this movie is like one of the scariest clouds hanging over it is just time, right? Yeah. yeah. That we know the movie we bought a ticket to. Yeah. And we're like, this stretches on forever. I don't know how they're going to end this movie, but I know in real life we never got clear answers. And so when like minute four of the movie, we're jumping like four days later, two weeks later, you're like, this film is going fast. That's the other thing I love about the little Chirons yes. is that it's like, it's is that they denote time not as like, I mean, sometimes it'll be like 1977 or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Like, but but they'll be like this much time later. Little increments. Like here's a net, yeah, yeah, here's the next increment of time that has gone by. Because the movie is being methodical, but it's also like time is getting skipped over. Yeah. And you have to sort of fill in the blanks every time there's one of those and go like, so then for two weeks, nothing happened. Right. Yeah. You two feel weeks, they all went away about them. their day. But you're, you're like, ah, they're losing it. Like, right. they, you know, like the, the, whatever immediacy there is to this, like it's going to leave them. Right. Like the longer it takes. And yes. like, but they're immediately distracted by like, oh, he says he's going to shoot kids in school buses. Right. Now we have to deal with that. Like then later yes. he's going to make a bomb. Now we have to figure out if that's real. Like if he can do that. There like, were two things that hit very differently for me watching this movie again for the first time in maybe a couple years. I don't know if I've watched it since 2020. Like one is obviously just the, the rise of true crime and amateur online uh, murder solvers. Right. And these people who show up unannounced at victims' families' doors and want to grill them about a, a particular yeah. obsession with serial killers. Yes, yeah, correct. Really, really like. Correct. Right. But this sort of like citizen uh, crime stopper shit. And then the other part of it is like the pandemic mm. and just being like living in a world with like several years of this invisible threat 
hanging over us and it sort of like waxes and wanes, right? And this feeling of being like, cases are down. Maybe we're getting out of this. And you're like, surge, new variant, whatever. This feeling of like, anytime they cut ahead whatever amount of time, you're like, okay, that was a period of time where there wasn't another killing or there wasn't a new discovery. Or there wasn't a letter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and even still, it's like things are a little calmer, but also it's not resolved. People are still wondering at any moment, am I going to get the bad news? Yeah. And in this day and age, you're not getting it on your phone. You're waking up the next morning in the newspaper and finding out something horrible happened last night. But what I like to think about rewatching this movie is that half an hour into the movie, all the murders have been depicted and basically all the letters have come in apart from the later crackpot ones. Not that the earlier ones weren't crackpot. (laughs) Um, And you're like, oh, 99% of the evidence is now available to us. And there, the rest of this movie is them going back to it. And none of it fits over together and over perfectly. Yeah. Like so much of what Graysmith did was just open up the fucking files from like 1966 again. Yes. You know, now it's when like if Anthony Edwards, you know, if Armstrong and Toski are on it, okay, call, you know, Elias Codius, you know, over in Vallejo, call Donald Logue, Um, in where's Napa, right? He's yeah, in Napa. Yeah, he's in Napa. He's Berryessa, yeah. And they're all like, by the way, why the fuck haven't you sent us this? And they're, we're sorry, we're sorry. We you know, it's really like so should much have been in that. on the handwriting. Right, yeah. you know. Yeah, you have Philip Baker Hall, who's phenomenal. The opening credits of this movie, when you go- I know, it's it's like pornographic. three cars. Like I said, yes. It is. And it's like the Vince McMahon- <laughs> Just you meme. wait, this guy too. Right. Him too? Are you right. kidding me? Because you have, it's the staggered, like, towering inferno, Dylan yeah. Hall, Ruffalo, well, no, We haven't Downey even gotten Jr. to Brian Cox. I know. No, well, we'll like, get to him. Well, then it's coming Edward up. Cox is a split card, and you're like, that's good. Nice, nice, And then it nice. gives you a series of three cards that are Vince McMahon meme. Yeah, right, Like, right. I'm forgetting what the permutations are, I but mean, everyone I hits. can probably find them for you. Um, But, uh, yeah. I, Philip Baker Hall, I think, so well cast because- He's doing something that is, and I apologize to handwriting analysis, uh-huh. but, uh, you know, pseudoscience. Yeah. And he's just Philip Baker Hall. So you're like, well, he has to be right. Yes. He's like, oh, the K's here. And you're like, hey, the fucking K's. He, he knows. Right. And like a lot of this like boils down to some people like, well, the handwriting. And it's like, well, we don't like, is that actually definitive? At the end of and the day, like, all these things are like opinions. Right. It's yeah. that Ruffalo line where like, no, I get the Ruffalo Gyllenhaal line of like, he's figured it all out and he's like all circumstantial. Right. I yeah. love the Ruffalo line of like, in court, yes, this cannot right. be enough. Right. Yeah. But we're right. That's different from, you know, we definitely know who did but or didn't. So all many right. times in this movie, you're like, all of this fits together. And then you go to Philip Baker Hall and it's the K. Right. And you're yeah. back to square one. And you yeah. either go, I discredit this guy. Or I discredit my conclusion. Charles Fleischer, Zach Grenier, Philip Baker Hall. That's the first three. Okay. You know, so oh, Roger Rabbit, Zach Grenier, Zach Grenier who's a, the, you the know, best, a, yes. a plus Fincher freak. Yeah. 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 Uh, although in this one, he's playing a fairly normal guy. Usually, yeah. if you bring him in to play a freak. <laughs> uh, Elias Cody's James LaGrosse, Donald Logue. I mean, come case. on. Three. I mean, I love James LaGrosse. Yeah. I think that guy is the best. Yeah. He barely in. The, John Carroll Lynch, Dermot Mulroney, Chloe Savigny. You're like, whoa, they allowed a woman to be in this movie? <laughs> Are we sure? But no, I mean, another three amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we should talk about Chloe, but like she just too just has the look. That's it. Oh, wow. And then casting by Lurie Mayfield, the, yeah. the yeah. legend. But there's a million other rank, you know, fucking Adam Goldberg for one scene or yeah. you know, Jimmy you know, Simpson for one scene. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, John uh, Ennis. Like we said, Gats. From Mr. Show. Yeah. As the rival handwriting. Clay, Clay that, Duvall. That jo- oh that's John God, Ennis. That's John Ennis. Yeah. Uh, the Clay Duvall Clay is fantastic. really good in that yeah. one scene um, where 
Graysmith is basically just like, say it, say yes. that name. And she's like, no. It was like, Rick. Yeah. Well, and what's the first thing, jumping way ahead, but what's the first thing she says to him when he walks in? You got the look. And he goes, what look? And she just goes, hey, never mind. Just never do your fucking thing. Yeah, do, do your, your thing. thing. <laughs> I've, I've met with you guys a bunch. Right. Uh, all right. Now, we don't need to go quite as scene by scene at this point, but, you know, most of the first chunk of the film is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Ruffalo and Edward. Yes. At this point, Avery is, you know, important, but, you know, the cops kind of take over for a in bit. Their side. And Gyllenhaal is still yeah. just kind of circling around. Then we have the whole Brian Cox sequence. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure we're not skipping Melvin up. Belly. Yes. Uh, who was basically like a famous, he was sort of like a Johnny Cochran of the day, right? Like a yeah. famous attorney. Was he, he was the one who got, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Ruby acquitted, who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, Jack Ruby died in prison. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, he, he, he was the attorney yes, for Jack I'm sorry. Ruby. Yes. Uh, he also was famously in a Star Trek yes. as a character called Gorgon, <laughs> yes. which they mention in saw the your guy track. being like, I saw your track. And he's yeah. like, oh, I should probably just be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> he's but so fucking funny. the Jack Ruby thing's important of why the Zodiac would well, want definitely. to talk to He's him. the kind of celebrity lawyer yes. to the criminal stars. And right. I got to call out the coverage there of him whenever he's talking and he's just looking like essentially straight into the, the camera. The fucking the lambs cam. It's yeah. so good. Yes. It's so good. Take care of yourself, Sam. Like right. it just, I don't know why he chose to do that, but the eeriness of feeling personally implicated by the call. <laughs> he does it in the first Arthur Lee Allen interrogation scene as well. Yes, he does. Which is yeah. from being like outside the conversation over the shoulder to being like directly inside it. Like John You and are the other side of this. Yeah. And it does feel like it is when people know they are somewhat cornered or at least directly engaged. Yeah. You know, you're sort of like in the crosshairs. You know what it might be is that even though it's a misdirect, it's yeah. like, when you're talking to Zodiac, yeah, then you get to look right into the camera. Yeah, don't you know right, I mean? Like it's right, like right. so. So it whether sounds like you're in a great deal of pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was I my mean, headache. Do you know uh, that he wanted Gary Oldman to do this? I mean, he wanted and Gary they, Oldman to do everything. He always yeah. has Gary Oldman, in, but he put him in a bunch of prosthetics and was like, "This looks silly. We should just hire <laughs> we Brian just Cox." Hire Brian Cox. <laughs> yeah, and Gary Oldman is like, "And I'll never wear prosthetics again. Never. Certainly never to play a world leader. <laughs> never to um, plump up." Um, and. Uh, Cox looks perfect. You know, the big oh. mane of hair, the thick yeah. tie, the tie as thick as his neck, the yeah. tie knot. Oh, it's so good. And uh, that sequence, I think, is so crucial. One, because Cox is such a hilarious showman. Yes. Yeah. This is but the only character who thinks he's in a movie. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who's yeah, yeah. like, and I'm acting out yeah. this scene to, for the ultimate yeah. film made We're about watching this event. Total bullshit. Like, useless. Yes. Some crazy yes. guy called in and was like, I'm crazy. You know, like, <laughs> and everyone Yelling was hanging on every is. word yeah. because yeah. it's such good television Terrifying. and it's such good movie watching. Yes. Like, in the same way that the letters are good news. Like, it just, it, the whole thing becomes this. Like red herring of a of a right. of nonsense. The whole thing with the fucking um, you know, codex, what do you call them? The puzzle letters, you know. Yeah. Is it's like the great mystery of like there's two unsolved. And then one of them gets solved and it's like more nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> more just like, I hope you saw me on the TV. You know, I'm going to shoot some little kid. You know, it's just more like crap. Well, also, it's not him being yes. like, by the way, 395 Main Street, like look me up. <laughs> Fincher and Grace Smith <laughs> both obviously. I'm Arthur Allen. I got the name from the watch. All right, see you later. You know, <laughs> confirmed. Fincher and Grace Smith, I think, both 
personally lean towards Arthur Lee Allen, Definitely. right? It is apparent. It's obviously yes. the most obvious candidate. Right. And I, I think Fincher is very convinced by Toxky being like, that's the one guy where I was like, the minute he walked in, I was like, I like this guy for it. Like, But even that, that language is right. what's so fascinating. Yeah. There's the later part where uh, Gyllenhaal finally gets through to Donald Logue and right. he mentions Donald Logue Mark Arthur. The other guy. Right. Uh, Rick, Rick, Rick Marshall. Rick, or, or yeah. Rick Marshall, sorry. And he he's says, like, you just named my favorite. He says, Potent right. potentially, you're talking about my favorite suspect. Right, where it's like, Toski's like, I'm a born to run guy. And, you know, <laughs> Donald Logue's like, I'm a Nebraska it. guy myself. My like analogy, yeah. I thought of not to like throw out like a, a Simsian metaphor. Uh -huh. I was like, they're talking about it like it's starter Pokemon. Right, yeah, yeah. I You have to start with Bulbasaur. Or, yeah, definitely. Which right. I mean, I am a and there's this guy. weird degree to which, like, in the second half of this movie where Gyllenhaal is basically going back to all these guys that he's been kept from. Yeah. And going, like, I'm now the guy who's really into Zodiac. And all of them are like, I dated her. I don't want right. to go back. Yeah, yeah. I, I did six years on that treadmill, baby. I don't want to do right. it again. And then all of them, like, get caught up in the thing again. Yeah. Where it's like, there's this weird, like, sport to it for them. Yeah. Of, like... It's fun to have your guy and think you can make it fit. He's like, I, I, I can't allow you to help. I, you know, I especially can't tell you to go talk to Ken Narlo in yes. Napa. N A R L O W. Yeah. You know, like it's just like you can uh, see so three ways to go about it: get a warrant, which you won't. Yeah. Or get creative, right? Um, I mean, they they they're encouraging him in this way that betrays their own obsession yes. with the case. But the thing I was going to say is that it would be very easy for Fincher to put his thumb on the scales and say, well, the movie we're making is the movie that argues that Arthur Lee Allen links everything together the best. Yeah. So I'll just have John Carroll Lynch play all embodiments of the Zodiac, which he doesn't. No. Like, sometimes it is his body in those scenes, and sometimes it is his voice, but he has multiple guys doing it at different times. I think also... I really appreciate how many um, red herrings he yes. has in the second half of the movie. The Rick Marshalls, the Sherry Joe Bates, the fact that you go on the, again, these are like the nooks and crannies, like going into all these scenes where they're like, we just don't think this is him. And it was like, well, then why did you tell Paul Avery? Right. Like what, you know, and you start to realize that like, it could be Ar Arthur Lee Allen. Yes. And in a regular Hollywood movie, that's what would, that's what it would be about. And, you know, it'd be about one yes. guy. And you would be able to feel okay with it being that guy. But I think it's so important that the movie spends so much time on the red herrings, on the people that it probably isn't. We never see Rick Marshall. We never no, see never see him. We never no one I know. I kept trying to find you Google Rick Marshall, he looks like the Zodiac Killer, really? I will say. Really? Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. part of what's frustrating is you're like, it's you almost wonder, are these not red herrings? Like, part of what's so frustrating about this reality is like. It's that scene, the Paul Avery scene, where he's like, you almost seem disappointed, where he breaks yeah. down to him. He's like, what do we actually verifiably know that this one guy did? Yeah. And already they've lost control of the narrative. And you're like, we basically created a template where any crazy person can stand up and do something. Yeah. So are all these killings connected? Are all the letters connected? You know? Like, Arthur Lee Allen might be the Zodiac Killer, but also 30% of what we ascribe to the Zodiac Killer might have been copycats. Right. That, which is that's, why the whole thing falls That's where it becomes apart. a ball yeah. of yarn that you can't write. We have to talk about the bar scene, maybe the greatest line reading in the history of Robert Downey Jr. This can no longer be ignored. <laughs> which I, I love that he's not immediately like, but he's like, okay. You, so he sent this, you think he sent the second code because he found the first one too easy. This can no longer be ignored. And then... 
maybe the best cut in the history of movies is him trying it and then cut to six of them yeah. demolished. <laughs> shot through the other side of an aqua velvet it's half It's vodka, drunk. gin, basically like Sprite, like Windex. a lemon lime. And blue and curacao. Blue yeah, curacao. Blue right, yeah. which I've never liked. I don't like the taste of blue curacao. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not kind of nasty. It's kind of nasty. And surprised to hear it's some real griff shit. Windex yeah, not at all, my color is also just unpleasant. Well, it's electric blue. Like, yeah. it's not a natural color. I know it's like an orange sort of look. It's, you know, <laughs> but like, not natural even color has that brightness to yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Are you it's a like aqua velva drinker yourself? I don't drink. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, well, smart. Maybe I can make, get you a virgin aqua velvet. Yeah, maybe, I would absolutely you know, have a virgin water one. with a yeah. uh, food coloring <laughs> and uh, you know an orange peel and sprite. Uh, and sprite, yeah. Sugar with sugar and sugar and water. Yeah, that sounds good. Graysmith is going to still hang back in this movie, but in that bar scene, you do have him explaining like how to crack the code, right? Yeah. Where it's like you're looking for kill. Yeah, you're you know, the, the double most, L. You're looking for the double L's. Yeah, yeah. and. Avery, again, I feel like this is a sequence where Avery is like, I'm smart. He's not saying this, but he's like, I'm smart and I'm an investigative reporter. I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't have the kind of sick brain that looks at one of those squares of codes and is like, where's kill? Yes. Yeah. And Gyllenhaal is like, well, it's a serial killer, so who wrote kill? So let's find where kill is. It's another perfect Downey Jr. line delivery of how does one do that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that is said with such disdain. <laughs> Like, clearly Downey Jr. Tr Avery just wants to go to parties where, yes. you know, everyone gets naked at the end of the night, right? Like on a houseboat. Like, that's really what he wants to do. Yes. He doesn't want to solve the, the Zodiac murders. Right. Then what do we have? We have, well, then it's Irony Sky. Then it's... Um, Kathleen Johns. Yeah. Maybe this... I mean, I think... I don't know what you guys think. I think the scariest sequence in Zodiac is probably the basement sequence with Fleischer. I remember in the theater feeling the most afraid then. Yes. But this is so like sharply frightening. That, yeah. You know, the way it's drawn out and then the final thing of like, I'm going to throw your baby right. out of the car. Like, but this is one where like, like I swear that's John Carroll Lynch's voice, right? Like this is a scene where it feels like oh, that's I think that is him. him. Yeah. yeah. But it's not always him. Well, he had yeah. different people play right. Zodiac in different Bob times. Bob Stevenson is him at some point. Right. I think. John Lacey. Yeah. You know, he, he, he would cast people to match the physical description from of every. That yes. Which is cool. It's great. It's cool. But yeah, the uh, the um, Kathleen Johns thing is is uh, is so scary, and it feels like a ghost story you're being told in a sleepover. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, it, it it has that feeling of like, you know, or a my favorite murder, right? Like yes, you know, right. episode or something. It just it's just absolutely the opening to a slasher movie. You know, right? Yeah. I survived. You know, like it's just absolutely terrifying. Well, and that feeling of her standing on the side of the road as the other cars come up, like that cut is terrifying, right? Yeah. Off oh, of it's his so line bad. Of, I'm going to throw your baby out the moving. Yeah. Yeah. Right vehicle, yeah. and then and then it's like, okay, you feel the relief of you see a car pulling up. She's alive. She's, she's alive. alive. She's survives alive. We don't yeah. hit the baby. But her hands are covered in blood. Yeah. yeah. Where's the baby? Where's the baby? And you're so terrified. You're going to hear something awful happen to the baby. Yeah. And there's something more upsetting, although there is a relief, obviously. There is, yeah. yeah. Of there being like, you hid the baby on the side of the road. Right. She's like, I thought he was going to come back. Oh, my God. Uh, and then you get to Avery taking Graysmith to the basement and being like, my theory is that might not have been Zodiac. Yeah. And my theory is this one wasn't either because he only wrote the letters that we got after the crime. You almost look disappointed. 
which is already all these guys are starting to have an unhealthy relationship. You guys may know this. I forget the (laughs) trivia here. The guy, the coffee guy at the Chronicle with Mm -hmm. the glasses. Who is that? That obviously was a real guy, right? But who's the actor? Yeah. Is that like the real guy or something? I just love that he keeps popping up and he has... Oh, I don't know. The mean lines or whatever. He's really cool. Um, And then what do we got? You know, then Avery getting the... The bloody, the bloody shirt, shirt, yes. and freaking out, and yes. you're kind of like, that's about an hour plus into the movie, and you're like, oh, he's lost, like, yeah, yeah. that's when he gets the gun. Dave, I want a gun, yeah. yeah. But he's also now getting really into being like one it's of the main so, characters yeah. of this narrative. He goes to fuck, you know that that's where Gray Smith goes on the first date with Chloe Sevigny, and is like. Yeah, he's going to Riverside or something. I forget what that is. And she's like, it's like near L.A. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I don't think he knows it's that far away. (laughs) And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. And he's like, I guess I should call him. And like, there's no cell phones. Her line reading of like, is this some skeezy ploy to get me back to your house? I love that. And and he's clearly like, huh? Like, like, it's like, his his you're like, this man has somehow had children, but he's never fucked. I don't know, like. He reproduced Someone tricked him or whatever, you know, right. someone was just like, just sit there and we're going to kiss and don't worry. It'll all, it'll all work yeah. itself out. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, cause it's almost crazy that he has a kid. Yes. And the others, do they have, does, does Toski have children? Like, Toski has children. Yeah, he has, we don't uh, see them. Yeah. Right. He, he, we don't see them, but he's like, I, I, he's like, I know boss. I've got three daughters of my own. Right. right. He does. That's yeah. right. They tell yeah. him at some point, like go on vacation. Right. Go to Candlestick. Yeah. Go to see, Candlestick. See a movie. Yeah. I mean, well, you should fucking go to Candlestick. <laughs> There's the moment where they all get on the plane, like everyone mm-hmm. from every city, yeah. right? Yes. You know, uh, Zach Grenier's there, who's the yeah. justice guy. And they, they go to Riverside. Who's that guy that, who plays the old cop? He is incredible. I love that. I mean, he's yeah. one of those guys. He's just one of those guys, but he's incredible. <laughs> who's basically like, uh, John Mayen is that. Guy. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's, he's, I think he's also in LA Confidential. Yes. Yeah. He's in that. He's the, he's like the commissioner in that. Yes, he's like, yes, gentlemen. Yes, yes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zodiac, Zodiac, Zodiac. But like, I actually like this other guy for yeah. it. And isn't that how they get Arthur Lee Allen? Right. Like, he's the one who leads him to yes. Arthur Lee Allen. No, uh, Arthur Lee Allen, they get on him because um, Armstrong interviews the old roommate right, of... Right, the guy with the glasses. Yeah, the guy with the glasses. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. It's just, like the roommate point, of just... Arthur's brother, I would it's say. something like that. But... Something like that. And he right. goes fishing with him and he's like, I'm going to call myself Zodiac and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all these things on right, January right. 1st. Because right. it's that thing, it's that sequence where they're like, now we're opening up the floodgates to all the nuts and you have that sequence yeah. of all these people they're right. interviewing. The, the lady That's who's right. like, could be Paul Avery. Right. And he's like, okay, yeah, right. we're looking into that one. Yeah. <laughs> My ex-boyfriend used to cut people's hands off. He right. has to be the Zodiac and they yeah. say he didn't cut anyone's hands off. But then there's like the four months later, seven months later, whatever he is. It's right. like, this yeah. has been fruitless. And then the last interview is him throwing out the thing about the fishing and telling the story, and they're like, this is the first thing we've heard in months that sounds like it might be something. He leads them to that. But it's the open call, basically, as that gets them to Arthur. As an audience member, you're like, you're still, especially the first time, you're still in this mode of like, yes, we're gathering evidence. I'll remember all of this. Yeah. yeah. And later you realize, you know, we're being shown dead end after dead end for a reason, because yeah. that is what this became. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, then the Arthur Lee Allen scene is so well acted. One, because John Carroll Lynch is like, fucking Oscar worthy in this movie. Oh yes. my God, he's incredible. And two, the way that Ruffalo Edwards and uh, Codius play the sort of like, holy shit, this guy's basically admitting of being a Zodiac killer. Yes. Right? 
Yeah. Where he's like, no, I would never kill kids. Anyway, this is my Zodiac watch. And the way, yes. <laughs> and the like way it. he like crosses his leg and we see the boot, oh. you know, we see and then the you see him see the boot. Yeah. You see, so and then good. you see him see that he you saw the boot. It. Right. Yes. It's like, so yeah. Good. And his weird like gentleness, like the weird way he well, talks. And Fincher said on the commentary that he asked him to do it one way where you, where you just are, are totally innocent. Yeah. Right. You know, like, right, like you, right. you can't believe they're even asking Too you this. morbid. Like, you know, you know that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. And, yeah. and Fincher said he was like, the more innocent he played it, the more he looked guilty. <laughs> right. The more he looked like, like he absolutely was the Zodiac killer. You my, know? my only question I asked this, cause I know you have landed on an answer for this, David. Okay. Do you put Ruffalo in lead or supporting? Do you have this movie with two supporting nominations? I have uh, the three boys are the three leads. I think you have to do it okay. that way. You have Gyllenhaal, Ruffalo, Downey all have to just be considered leads. Okay. Because the supporting cast is so massive in this movie. So then you give John Carroll Lynch the supporting nomination. I do. But yeah. I'm willing to hear basically any argument for any performance in this movie. I think they're all good. He and Ruffalo are the two I like jam on all day and all night. I mean, Ruffalo is an incredibly rewarding actor. Like, re returning to a Ruffalo performance is usually really rewarding. Yeah. Like, he, there's a lot of depth to his work. And that's why I watch Avengers Age of Ultron all the time. <laughs> I, I had some, it was obvious. I had to make a joke like that. Um, no, we have to move into the final act of the movie, which is the Hall act. Uh, and just ca shout out any scenes from that that we like, basically. The Fleischer scene. Yes. Okay. Uh, but like, and, and the diner scene and the Fleischer scene. The, yeah. the, the I walked it scene and the Fleischer scene are the sort of crucial. And the, and the Paul the Avery boat scene. Yeah, you as know, the yeah. coda for Avery. Yeah. He's, as we said, he's haunting the movie at he's that point. He's haunting the right. movie at that point. He, he's very the dude. <laughs> that's, he is. Yes. That yes. scene as well. Is he naked? Do you think he's kind of like balls out <laughs> and yes. we're sort of not seeing that? <laughs> yes, right. so. absolutely. Yes. There's that one uh, a quick cutaway to him watching the news at the bar yes. with the emphysema tank still smoking. Yes, and where so he's good. the library line or whatever yes. is there. Right, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I, I think that the Gyllenhaal part, what I love about it is that he goes down the Rick Marshall rabbit hole. Yes. Like I just love, and and that it, it the culmination is the Charles Fleischer scene. Like, yes. right. like the culmination of that is that I'm in a dark cellar. Yes. But like what <laughs> I love about that nowhere. scene is nothing might be happening. No, Fincher is using right. full Hitchcock right. to do yeah. a scene that is entirely this subjective might just be a and weird in his guy. Head. Yeah. Right. It's, this guy's paranoia has become so out of control that he thinks he's in a horror movie he's all the time. He's definitely a weird guy. Well, he's, he's a, a silent guy. film projectionist and he right. saved all of his records from fucking <laughs> 30 years ago. But like when Gyllenhaal is like, door's locked, you know, like, yeah. and you're like, oh my God. And like Fleischer's reaction is kind of like, yeah, you know, that's okay. I got it. Yeah. And you're like, is he enjoying that he made him feel bad or is he just kind of realizing that this guy is freaking out because right. he thinks about this? Any man day? wearing a toupee that obvious is a fucking <laughs> freak. Um, yes, but yes, we need to start wrapping up Griffin. So is okay. there anything else we have to talk about with the Zodiac movie? Well, Clea Duvall brings him back to Arthur Lee Allen after yes. basically spending years in like cul-de-sacs. Right, because she's the one who's like, the name Lee is who I remember, this right. weirdo at this He's party. begging her to connect his previous right. Right, theories. Right. But I, uh, Chloe Sevigny has that like heartbreaking final line. And he has the birthday, the same birthday. That's the other Lee Allen thing. Right. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. That he called yes. it Christmas birthday. saying it was yeah. her birthday right. to December Brian 18th. Cox's house. Right. Which right. is sort of like the first totally proprietary piece of information that Graysmith gets. Yeah. When he's starting to realize someone needs to write this book. Yeah. It might as well be me. That's the thing that that sets him off is that he 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 almost gets there. Like, like um, Belli's 
uh, maid gives him the information about, I, I have to kill today. Today is my birthday. Yeah. He gets that information. He goes to Zach Grenier and he goes, I just need to check a date. And he's the one that goes, it's, it's fingerprints and handwriting. Yeah. Stick to the evidence, right. you yeah. know? And, and then yeah. the next thing you know, what do you actually have? He's, he's, he's in all those cul-de-sacs. Like yeah. he, he, he can't, he, cause he can't prove it. Right. Yeah. He's so close to Arthur Lee Allen right there, right. but he doesn't go down it because he's like, oh, I can't prove and it. And all these other guys are like, I gave it up. It doesn't fit together. Yeah. This yeah. way lies madness. There's and then he comes knocking like, on the door. <laughs> yeah. They say, please don't. And then once he gives them the one new piece of info, they're like, I will tell you a thing I've always found interesting. <laughs> right, right, right. That was in the that was in the Vallejo files, you know, like you can see yeah. in Ruffalo's face just that like frustration of like Ruffalo, God damn it. It's like the flicker of like uh, no, I can't. I can't. You know, I, can't I, I can't do this anymore. And the yeah, scene yeah, yeah, yeah. they first yeah. meet is after the after the Dirty, Dirty Harry, Harry premiere. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Ruffalo walking out and then uh, Graceman finally tracking him down and being like, we're the two characters who have supposed to have been working oh, together. That's right. This whole movie. Yeah. And Ruffalo's line is, it's over. They're already making movies about it. Right. Oh my yeah, God. Which is so good. So and then you good. have like the longest time cuts, I yes. feel. Yeah, well, that then there, that's when there's the montage that right. also was cut out of the original movie where it's just a black screen for two minutes while music plays. Which is great. <laughs> which it's is amazing. It's amazing. so good. And it feels like Fincher's like, I'm telling you the time is moving, but it's also like the 60s have died. Yeah. Yes. That's how I feel about that musical montage. That's yes. very, very that He's on. like, we're moving out of this. And like, this is a time of innocence dying in America as well. Like, that's and it the feels whole story of how the quickly of the you're moving, even with like the audio clips from news broadcasts. <sighs> but you're like, that's what happened. The production design of the of the Chronicle changes, oh, yes. you know, yeah, like the typewriters. typewriters. Yeah, the typewriters. You know it's no. Yes. Oh, Fincher God. changes the kind of typewriter they use because yeah. he realized by the 70s, mid 70s, they were using a different kind of Skeletric or whatever. Yeah. What about Seven Years? Um, the scene where she basically calls quits on their marriage right. and you like haven't been checking in on them a ton. Yeah. And you're sort of like, this is such a disastrous first date, but she's kind of charmed by his guilelessness. Yeah. Right. And he's like a cutie pie. And you yeah. assume like at some point it got better and she like got to engage with him as a real person. And then her scene where she's just like, we've just, our first date never ended. Yeah. This has just been one long first right. date of me basically waiting for you to like solve the Zodiac crimes. Right. And like engage with me as a human being. And, and also it's never going to happen. Someone, the Zodiac, calls in the yes. middle of the night and just breathes into the phone. Right. And you're just accepted this because you're so obsessed. Like that's not going to dissuade you from stopping. Right. Whereas when he's a single father, he's got his kid in the couch and they're watching the Brian Cox interview. Mm hmm. And he's like, change the channel. This is like too upsetting. Well, for he you. sticks with it for a bit, and then yeah. when it gets really gnarly, he's like, okay, he's all right. Still yeah, a little bit enough. of a yeah, 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 yeah. versus Kill now. those kids. Yeah, yeah they're right, like at right. the dinner table, and he's like, Zodiac calling again. <laughs> like he's not even really <laughs> processing even how anymore. much this is interfering with his children's he looks, psyche. Like you say, trapped in the movie as well. He just looks. I've like just he's got not to sleeping. see him. I got to look him in his eyes. And then eyes he does that. Got to know that it's him. Yeah, it's so true. Hall's performance gets into this space where his it's like those eyes, man. Those Donnie Darker eyes, looks, my God. He's really good. Yeah. I mean, he's really good. It's so, like, I just think, like, that the climax of the movie is he looks Arthur Lee Allen in the eyes. Yeah. And does he get something out of that? We don't really know. We don't really know. it's crucial for us. Yeah. And then Jimmy Simpson's like, this guy. It's right. this guy. And then the movie's like, Arthur Lee Allen died before they could really figure anything out. The <laughs> DNA never matched. And, uh, you know, you're you're trapped in hell forever. Right. Goodbye. Roll like, the credits. The, the like, end credits are like, yes, no, no, yes, kind of, maybe, goodbye. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, they're like, they keep but fucking the, yes. pulling you in both directions. I have directions. to say, though, I think you got to hand it to him that when he plays Hurdy Gurdy Man again. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? He is giving you 
an emotional catharsis. Yes, yes. And I think, I I don't know if I was saying this before when we were actually taping or not, but it's like, if it makes emotional sense, then the logic starts to fall away. Like it, like you can say that this movie doesn't have an, uh, you know, like a resolution or, or any of those kinds of things. It, it, and, and it doesn't, but it has one shining moment at the end yeah. where Majo identifies Arthur Lee Allen. Yes. yes. And the most definitive thing. The most definitive that thing that can right. happen can happens. And the, that music plays and it just says like, the answer could still be out there. You know, yeah. like, it's like, it it could still happen. And then like Cruise, you said. You know, it's not a question <laughs> like, about him. It also, like, the first time Hurdy Gurdy Man is played, you're like, oh, that's like a good usage of this song. Oh, clever. Yeah. That's like carrying some yeah. power over to this scene. Yeah. And then when he uses it the second time, I'm like, you have forever transformed this song. Right, this yeah. I will Zodiac never song. now not listen to this song and oh. think about, like, the frustration of being like, we're never going to fucking catch Arthur Lee Allen. We didn't even talk about David Shire's music. David Shire, <laughs> one of the great composers of all time. All time. Did one of my favorite film scores for The Taking Film, one, two, three. He would Don't do these jazz scores. He wanted no score. He was like, only pop music, just set it in That's the right. time. That's right, yeah. And they were cutting it, and they were like, a couple of these sequences, you kind of need mood setting, and they used the conversation score as temp score. Right. Oh, right. they did, Another yeah. great David, David Shire score. And then they went to him, and he wrote 40 minutes of stuff. Hell yeah. Which is Because he was... Probably in his 70s at that point. Yeah. He's still alive. David Shire's still with us. Uh, 86 years old now. But the fact that there is so much pop music yeah. used so well and recontextualized in a way that makes it feel so ominous. Oh, yeah. That when he switches to the score, you're like, this is telling me to pay attention in a different way. Yeah. There's some shift here of what's happening in this scene. And sometimes it's emotional and sometimes it's tension. Sometimes it's just underlining information. Sometimes it's scoring squirrels. I rewatched that scene so good. Obviously, <laughs> the trailer. Like, it's just freaky. Yeah. Um, but I rewatched, I like rewound and rewatched the um, John Carroll Lynch reaction to, to Gyllenhaal clocking him in the hardware yeah. store. Yeah. yeah, sure. And I swear to God, you go by it frame by frame and it's like, it actually doesn't look like his face is moving at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Somehow his expression changes He's entirely. To a statue. Mm. Yeah. And you cannot clock like where muscles are shifting. Yeah. It, it, and and it's it's just inscrutable, and it's like for this guy in that moment, on uh, one hand, a man you're like, I associate with being like a cuddle bear actor from yeah, Fargo Drew and Carrey stuff show, like that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Drew Carey show, yes. Totally. But you're like, if you're a Gray Smith, and that's another moment where he basically cuts to he's looking straight at you straight through at the you. lens. Yeah, you're like, well, at first you're like, well, that face he's giving me is the resolution I want. Yeah, even if I can't prove it, yeah. he's acknowledging it. And then the longer you look at him, you're like, am I projecting something onto him? <laughs> Like, yeah, right. You're, you exactly. go into the cycle, 100%. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, actually, is this all coming from me? Blah, 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 blah. Griffin, let's just play the box office game. Come on, let's just do it. March 2nd, 2007. Movies body by Wild Hogs at the box office. It, it just fucking ran the table March 2007. Remember Wild Hogs? I do not remember Wild Hogs. Tim Allen, William H. Macy, Martin Lawrence, John Travolta, the big four. Yeah. They're on motorcycles. Huge. We don't need to get into 175 that. Uh, we don't have time. $40 million. Dollars. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. even remember this It movie. annihilated Zodiac. Yeah. Zodiac was humiliated. And then fucking Leonidas comes in a week later and kicks all of them. Yeah, what does? 300. 300. 300, right, right, right. Yeah. right, right. We talked a about A weirdly that. robust march. Uh, number th- three at the box office is a movie that would probably never get dumped in February. Now it's a comic book film. Uh, one of your favorite actors. Oh, it's Ghost Rider. Nicholas Cage's Ghost Rider. Oh, Ghost Rider. Yeah, with, Pete, yeah. with Pete Fonda. Yeah, that was dumped and still ended up making a lot of money. Made a lot of money. Better than Zodiac. 
again, make, yeah. made well over a hundred million dollars. Pretty you bad. Think, you think Pretty better? Bad. Oh no. Okay, you thought. Then Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. But fun trash, but objectively bad. Number four. It's just funny to think this is what's up against Zodiac. Number yeah. four. Uh, kids book adaptation. Bridget Terabithia. What? Yeah. And Sophia Rob. He's a freak. I'm a freak. I can't believe you guys know this. Hutcherson. I'm the rapper Gray Smith of box office. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> another ruined film every relationship in my life. About obsession, but a bad one. Number 12 is another. Number five. Oh, is it number 23? Num the number, number 23, 23 with Jim's, James Carey. I knew James all of Carey. those on first guess. Did I not? You sure did. Wow. My God. Have you seen the number 23? I have not. Not very good. It's funny to think of that movie existing in theaters at right. the same Zodiac time. Zodiac is like, let's think about this true crime. And Jim Carrey is like, I can't stop thinking about that dang number 23. write it on my chest. <laughs> it's so weird how it keeps popping up. I'm going to play the saxophone You also while have not sleeping. Norbit. Yep. The movie that cost Eddie Murphy an Oscar this Oscar season. Yes. Like, you know, music and lyrics, underrated Hugh Jackman, yeah. rock oh, and com, yeah, very yeah. cute film. Yeah. Opening new this week and completely bombing the, uh, uh, sort of comedy drama Black Snake Moan. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Christina Ricci. Wait, that opened the same weekend? It sure did. That's another blank check movie. Yeah, and Timberlake and uh, Samuel Jackson. That That's Craig Brewer. Craig Brewer. It's Craig his follow-up to all Hustle, the hustle and, and Flow. Hustle and Flow, right, right. of course. Paramount yeah. buys it and guarantees his next movie. Right. Ooh, uh, yeah. okay. And number nine is Reno 911 Miami. And his next One movie is I'm Going to Chain a Woman to... Yes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. No, but that was the deal. It was like, we want your movie so badly. Also, it's like sucker, anything you want Sucker next. punch, yeah. Yes. It's just like, you know, so we're going to... Stick needles in the eyes of young women. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, what, what do you have to say? God, I love this industry, you guys. It's I love so it. good. It's Rewarding. Perfect. We're doing Always great things. Find success and rewards. Yes. Never been better. <laughs> uh, I think Reno 911 Miami is underrated. One of the funniest movie titles of all time. That it's another city. That's funny. It is funny. It's not like a, a, a an overbearing, annoying joke. Yeah, it's good. It's funny. And number 10, the completely forgotten but perfectly watchable political thriller Breach. Which Billy Ray movie. Good movie. Low-key fucks all day and all night. It's his follow-up his follow to Shattered Glass, speaking of hate. Chris Cooper is unbelievable in that movie. Yeah. What? I gave it another spin recently because I hadn't watched it in 15 years. What's crazy years. about that list is that yeah. I don't know any of And you movies. were like a grown-up at this I was, time. You were seeing I, films. Black Snake Moan, I remember. Yeah. I, yeah, just that was because I was like, what's happening? But yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I did watch it, yeah. you know. I, 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 I saw it, but I was just uh, out of morbid curiosity. 100%. Um, but I don't know any of those movies, and yet they all beat Zodiac opened to number four or whatever. Four, but, uh, no, yeah. it opened to number two. But like, well, like it, it didn't does do Black very Snake well. Moan ultimately outgrow Zodiac? I think maybe not, just because Black Snake Moan didn't do well at all. Sure. Yeah, but uh, Zodiac opens to twelve. Yeah. How do you know that? I, I mean, I know you do this on the show all the time, yeah, but it, but seeing it in purpose, person is pretty cool. This, it opened to thirteen. It made thirty three domestic. It made eighty four total. Okay. Whoa. Like, you know, basically yeah. made its budget back worldwide. So it was a loser. But then I think it did quite well, you know, on video as well. And all Leslie, that. I get some satisfaction out of the fact that I think people who listen to this show sometimes think that I'm like on my devices. No, during yeah, I can this. say right. he's not. And anytime like anyone's in, minority in the room, report. That's right. I say what you say, which is it looks weird <laughs> watching <laughs> you. <laughs> well, then I'm like kids movie and you're like, bitch, you're terrible with you. Right. I'm just like, nobody made a movie of that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just like coming out of me. My God, wild hogs. I'm just like, what? America was for a moment captured by the idea of middle-aged men riding motorcycles. <laughs> yes. 
into the into the heartland and yeah. having comic things. I want to see that. that movie. Uh yes, we've yeah. told that story on the podcast. Have you guys before. watched the commentary with James Elroy for this movie? No. No. It's Whoa. On, it's unbelievable. Wait, is it just Elroy? It's Elroy. It'd be funny if it was just him being like, I love this movie. Here we go. <laughs> There's the one that's Jillian Hall and a bunch of the crew. There's yes. the one that's Fincher Solo. I've listened to both of those. So he's he's on the one with the crew and okay. Jillian Hall and, and um Downey. And he he introduces himself oh, as right, like yeah. he's like um, I'm James Elroy, king of American crime fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I mean, good. He also says he's hung like a mule. He oh talks about it, himself. It, it, yeah, about himself. Yeah, wow. James he's, Elroy, who by the way looks like if Mister Clean like joined the Nation of Islam, <laughs> but was white. Like it's not like you see James Elroy and you're like that guy fucks, you know, <laughs> with a bull moose penis. <laughs> Like here is James Elroy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's always talking. He, he's very obsessed with with Ruffalo's hair as well. You know, hair. he's got great hair. But it well, is because you think Elroy's like, God, if only I had that mop yeah. on my head. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Clean enough. I have six extra wives on my Wikipedia page. It's so great to see. It's uh, it's yeah, really it's really interesting because of you know obviously everything he's written, but mm -hmm. also what happened with his mother and hearing his take on the Zodiac and and just what a absolute narcissistic loser Zodiac was Zodiac was yeah, you right. know like that this is just the, the like the banality of evil yeah you know that's the thing and about it's Zodiac it's like he's a weird nerd yeah. yeah he's not even good at this no he invented the template for so many things in fucking serial killing yeah, yeah. but like by being a weird freak and who would mostly write in and be like I saw the exorcist hilarious comedy or what you know like shit like that yeah you know like he's a troll he was a he's shit a troll. poster yeah. right yeah, yeah, he's a fucking troll. And he killed five people or yeah. maybe 35. Like, you know, probably just five, but who knows? Yeah. I guess. Like, <sighs> Leslie, thank you for coming. Thank you. So thank you for, for having me. Here. This was amazing. I feel like we could honestly could we have talked. The problem with Zodiac is yeah. we could talk about it. It's an endless while. But we have to cut ourselves off so we don't fall prey into the, the trap that destroyed these men. Absolutely. We've also been talking for a very, you know, very yeah. healthy amount of time, which is um, good. Exactly two hours and 30 minutes. Great. Leslie, I said to you, and I've said it on mic many times, but it's it's what I want out of Star Wars, the promise of your show. Not thank just that you. you were the one doing it, but the idea of the newness and unexplored territory and in as the you guys know sandbox. you know before the prequels which i know you guys have covered have covered i was kind you of unfortunately hoping, know we have covered you unfortunately yes. know that we have covered <laughs> i want you guys to go back and do it again you want us to start it over wow that would really make a lot of people unhappy <laughs> Burn it down. but it is it is we were, we were saying before it is the ultimate blank check movie it the is. phantom the Mass. ultimate blank check project especially yeah. those those three movies no check blanker than that no <laughs> No, no, especially the idea of him releasing them and everyone being like, we're horrified by this. And he's like, I'm going to get to work on the sequel. <laughs> I just love him so much. I'll see you much. later. I love I him love so George, are you so listening much. to the fans' complaints? A little bit. Uh, Maybe the weirdest very amount tiny I could listen. About. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish we had more time to talk about George Lucas because I... Well, I, come on back some. I, yes. I would love to come back and do that. Or, yeah, you you know, we'll think of something else for you to come on and talk yeah. about. But thank you for joining but us. But no, thank you for having me. I love this movie so much. You did amazing. Okay, You did, good. You did amazing. Good. Jesus. Good. Take us out. I have to pee. Okay. I need to poop. So it's going to be a race <laughs> against time. Can I finish this before David finishes peeing?
Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Alex Barron and AJ McKeon for our editing, JJ Birch for our research, Lane Montgomery and the Great American Owl for our theme song, Pat Rounds, Joe Bowen for our artwork. I have to go to the bathroom so badly. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit. I don't want to say shit. It's a little triggering to me at this moment, <laughs> including our Patreon Blank Check special features where we do commentaries on film series. Right now we're doing... The Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. We also just uh, have the uh, fucking Fincher music video episode that just came out. Uh, uh, tune in next week for a Curious Case of Benjamin Button with Richard Lawson. And as always, I did it. I fucking, I did it. I finished it and David's still in there. This is like physically painful. Okay, I'm going to read a thing while David's still in there. <laughs> My former roommate, Chris Wilmot, who grew up in the Bay Area, sent this to me. And I think this is relevant. Um, he said, uh, I know you all have probably already recorded your Zodiac app, but had to share this ink review I saw while working at an art supply store that's too weirdly specific to not be written by the real Robert Gray Smith. <laughs> I've been drawing in pen and ink since I was a child and for 15 years was a political cartoonist and for the last 30 years, a best-selling author of books, illustrating them all with gillet pen points and ultra draw ink. It is permanent, light fast. And if you had to, you could draw in glass with it if you could. It is so much denser and richer than other inks on the market that the day they stop making ultra draw ink, which I use with a dip pen and radiograph pens, I will switch to another media. Other inks thin out. When you erase your pencil lines, this ink is eternal. Love it. Robert Graysmith, author of Zodiac and other nonfiction books. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Robert, are you okay? <laughs> no. 